Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable, too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Welcome to Podcast Like It's 1992. Uh, this is Phil speaking with a, just a, a little bit of a heads up that after um, myself and Emily and Chris and Joe and I are done talking about Batman Returns, I had the pleasure of interviewing uh, one of the screenwriters of the movie, Daniel Waters. Uh, so that interview will be tacked on after we finish talking about the movie, but I wanted to give everyone a heads up about that. It's a great interview. Uh, Daniel is hilarious. Uh, we talk about all the sort of weird and wonderful things that went into the making of the film and the development of the movie and the various sort of iterations of the script that existed and uh, and all the things that Daniel uh, loves and perhaps um, <laughs> has some reservations about uh, in terms of the film. But uh, it's a great interview, and I hope you all stick around to check it out. Welcome to Podcast Like It's 1992, the podcast where we talk about the films of 1992 here from our perch in 2023. I am one of your hosts, Phil Isco. I am your special guest host, Emily St. James, sitting in for your normal host, uh, a terrible little penguin man. <laughs> Honestly, I was going to do like a different Batman villain because like there's so many weird ones, but she's a terrible little penguin man. He is and... a terrible little penguin man. Um, with today, from this had Oscar buzz, we have Joe Reed and Chris Vile. Thank you so much for coming on. Thank talk you. Us Thank about... you. We are the two actual little penguins that you're strapping <laughs> a bomb to. Right. I, this was, I mean, this will shock no one. This is probably my most anticipated movie to cover from 1992. I was going to say, I imagine Amazing. the competition was fierce for, uh, for a guest star on this episode. The, com- was... the competition between Phil and I was fierce. <laughs> there, was, there, was, there were some texts back and forth, and I felt genuinely bad because I was being 
perhaps a little bit too protective of this movie. Sure. Um, There was one text where Phil was like, I know you don't like this movie very much, so I want to make sure we get a real super (laughs) fan. I was like, Phil, I'm going to give this a score in the 80s. Like, (laughs) are you? Because I just read your letterbox review. This is is objectively a very good movie. I just like it. I don't I don't click with it. Like, that's that's the spoiler. No, I, I mean, and we will unpack all of that because sure. i'm very curious to sort of unpack the uh the whole tim burton of it all emily you were obviously notoriously on blank check to talk about uh his nadir which is or nadir which is alice in wonderland i mean absolutely oh, okay. one of the best films i've ever had the pleasure oh. of seeing a great uh, episode though. um but yeah. you know yeah. a terrible terrible film Oof. but uh joe and chris yes. i want to sort of th- this is a movie that did have academy award nominations am i two yes two. it had nom- okay. yes yes it did yes what what were they forgive me i should know this but visual effects and makeup fair on fair on both counts i guess i mean the visual effects are very sort of uh pastiche a little bit like it's more kind mm-hmm. of like german expression like it's hard for me to kind of be like and yeah this is 92 you know this Sorry, is such ahead. a weird era for visual effects oscars because it's this yeah. weird transition point between practical effects and holy cg like the next year jurassic mm-hmm. park wins this yeah. year death becomes her wins and that's like a huge breakthrough in computer generated sure effects. Yeah. but like you still mm-hmm. have some of these practical effects movies like batman returns is mostly practical there's some cg in there but like this so yeah. it's still bouncing around and i mean the previous year you have t2 right that's 91 that's the yeah that's another huge breakthrough yeah which yes. is a big mm-hmm. breakthrough so this is kind of this wor- weird in between space it feels like yeah. but the mm-hmm. makeup i would i mean danny devito's makeup is pretty pretty unbelievable Incredible. but i i, I yeah <clears throat> yeah i want to ask you guys your history movie did you see this film in theaters this is one of my earliest movie memories of oh. seeing a movie in a theater <laughs> i had definitely been to the movies plenty of times by this age i would have been i guess five years old when i saw this wow and (laughs) it always strikes me in the opening credits too because i was so terrified in the opening credits and i remember this vividly because i was with both of my parents which never really happened in terms of movie going there's probably maybe i could count on one hand the movies i remember seeing with both my parents and i remember either like hiding under my mom or dad's arm and at some point in the movie hiding under the actual seat but the thing that's so scary to me in the opening credits is the basket that oswald cobblepot is floating down the river in because for some reason in my brain my like basically toddler brain i convinced myself that it was a monster head coming out of the water not that it's a basket but a monster you do get that Um, at the end when he comes out when he emerges out of the water yes at the very end (laughs) i this is it's also a movie that every time i rewatch it even as i approach like 40 years old i still get the sense memory of how it felt to be scared by individual moments of this movie Mm -hmm. and i think the thing that scared me the most was the shot of the electrocuted max shrek Uh uh-huh oh yes just because i probably hadn't seen eyes and like i'm sure we'll get into the whole conversation (laughs) around Mm -hmm kids and like kids on talk shows being like batman returns is anti-kid like 
fucking losers. Um, <laughs> but truly, probably the first time I had seen something so violent, so mm, young. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But I don't remember like my parents thinking, "Oh, this is too much for you," or uh, do even we after need to have a conversation? Like when you left the movie, they didn't go like, "Maybe we shouldn't have taken him to see that," or nothing like that. Not that I remember. I mean, I more so vividly remember just the movie itself. Sure. I remember we saw it in a dollar theater. Remember dollar theaters? <laughs> oh, sure. I do. I I got my money's worth at the dollar theaters. <laughs> Which sure. is probably yeah. why they were less concerned about me freaking out, you mm. know, and not just and like wouldn't need to take me out because I'm disturbing other uh, people in the theater sure. because they paid a dollar for me to see this movie. <laughs> Joe, did you see this in the theater? I was trying to remember. I, I'm trying to think of the context that I would have seen in the theater. I don't. I can't imagine my parents taking us all to go see Batman Returns. I definitely remember the first Batman, the hyper on the first Batman. But I was only like, I was like not even ten yet. This one, I was like eleven years old. I what I remember is, and it may have been the first time I saw it, was watching it at home on VHS at like. A family party where, like, the kids sort of got, like, thrown to the back bedroom and, like, uh-huh. you all go, like, watch a movie somewhere or whatever. And I remember watching it uh, in that context. And I remember, it must have been the first time I saw it because why else would it be, like, much of a memory? And um, I remember being, if not outright confused, then just sort of just, like, kind of fascinated by this thing that was purportedly sort of marketed at least partially to kids and watching this and like, Oh, this is like, without maybe even like knowing it, like this is sort of really melancholy and really sort of like, you know, (laughs) moody for like much, much moodier than the, than the movies I was probably used to. And I don't remember specifically. I wish I could like tell the story of being one of those cool kids who've been like, I loved Batman Returns from the break. I was a, you know, I was a spooky kid. I was a cool kid. I knew better than whatever. Mm-hmm. I probably was a little, you know, more than a little nonplussed by it and and didn't come around to liking it as much as I do now for, you know, until I was an older teenager if not like, you know, well into 20s. my 20s yeah. or something like that. Yeah. Now, Emily, I know you didn't see this in the theater because I think your God fearing parents wouldn't allow it. Was it not, but... Well, no, like here, it, I actually do have a story around this. Oh, I, I was like, this was the first summer when I okay. was like starting to push to like see some movies on my own. <laughs> and we, ha- we had to drive a solid hour to get to the nearest movie theater. So oh, you wow. like really had to want to see a movie. You had to want it. Yeah. Yeah. And so famously, the only two movies I saw in theaters in 1992 were Aladdin and Sister Act. So like that was that was the that makes sense. I was like, you don't need anything else. Yeah, exactly. I was like, I really want to see uh batman returns because i hadn't even seen the first one but i like wanted to be like a part of like the big summer movie conversation and the next year like i i convinced my parents to let me go see jurassic park by myself and they were all set to let me see batman returns by myself Mm -hmm. and i was such a fucking hmm I mean, we don't have. We'll get into this okay. in the Twin Peaks okay. Firewalk with Me episode. Okay. But I was such like a like like a like a 
kid who was like very self-censorious. Like I would like make sure I wasn't going to consume stuff that would make my parents upset. Right. So uh, I read all the articles about how this movie was bad. And I went to them and I was like, I don't think it would be responsible for me to see Batman oh, Returns. Right. I literally said it that way. Then I saw it when it, it debuted on broadcast television. It looks like three years later, it debuted on NBC. Uh, and uh, I, I, I liked it, but I also don't know that that's the ideal way to see it. Um, no, yeah, probably not. Sure. <laughs> yeah. And like, I don't think I saw it again until, um, honestly, last night may have In been the first time. In between ads for it. Mad About You and I'm trying to think <laughs> yeah. of like what you would have like gotten ads yeah. for then, like Law & Order, Mad About You. Um, yeah. ER. I no, definitely, right. ER. I definitely have rewatched it at least once, but like last night was like the first time I'm, I'm pretty sure in a long, long you, time. Like, paid attention I will to it. remember, I will say, however, that when it aired, when it aired on broadcast television was the first time I was like, oh, you can set a movie that's not about Christmas at Christmas. This movie was like mm, that for right. me. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. you know, I, it's interesting. I had a very similar experience, I think, to you, Joe, uh, in the sense that, I mean, I did see it in the theater. My mom, my mom literally pulled me out of class. That's how badly I wanted to see this movie. Oh, wow. I was 12. Nice. She let me play hooky. She took me and and some other friends to go and see it. I vividly remember this. Um, and uh, I remember just kind of not getting it. Like, I, I, mm-hmm. I felt as though, I think similar to you, Joe, I was 12, but I just kind of was like, I don't know that I'm on its wavelength. Mm-hmm. And I think it was, ultimately, I really do think that, despite the fact that this film has any number of uh, horrifying images that young children shouldn't be seeing, um, <laughs> I also feel as though it's not particularly fun right like it's sure. not a movie that that a kid would be like i mean i guess right. there is batman stuff he he blows up some stuff and whatever it's uh, so fun but, now like for an adult yeah, sure. it's like so yes. fun but yeah yes. yeah yeah even yeah. on like the base level of it's the literal least colorful yeah. batman <laughs> villains you know they don't even have primary colors yeah. they're black and white and they're circus themed villains they're circus themed villains and they're not even very colorful like it is it's also muted it's crazy i will say like i think i think one of the weak links of this movie for me just in terms of a cinematic is the action you can tell tim burton wants to be doing something else and you're watching it the whole Mm -hmm. time and you're like come on get back to the sexual malcontents tim let's let's do that (laughs) that's what you care about the most yeah Mm -hmm. Yeah, get back to the bdsm sex love story yeah Yeah. i I mean it is as is the case with tim burton and we'll talk about this i'm sure at length to some degree in terms of where his attention goes and how like as a filmmaker i don't know that he is as emily just sort of said particularly good at juggling a bunch of things right like you can tell that he's interested in the villains more than the heroes he's always more interested in the the ghosts or the creatures than the humans like it's it's always sort of a balancing act that he's not Mm -hmm. always that great at what's interesting about this film is you know Michael Keaton sort of notoriously was like, I don't really want to do this fucking movie unless you pay me a, a boatload of money, which they did for a quote unquote real estate deal. We don't need to get into that. I don't know what that means, but that's what he said he needed the money for. Um, I, I, you know, and one of the big things that he said to Daniel Waters, who we, who I interviewed and we're tacking on the interview at the end of this episode, um, which was a lot of fun and he's amazing and really kind of got into the nuts and bolts of sort of the development of it was he didn't really want Batman to talk very much. Now, whether or not that's just him being a lazy actor or if that was an actual choice, but I think that that 
presents itself as the villains are going to swallow Batman, right? Like there's no way to find that balance yeah. if you if you have an actor who wants a very kind of reserved Batman. And yet you think about it and it's like, I'm somewhat hard pressed to think of too many Batman movies where the villains don't swallow Batman. And I think Correct. part of that is <laughs> just sort of what you get with Batman, where he's moody and he's behind this sort of like metric ton of costume. Like there's so much costume to do with Batman. It's not like, you know, even like a, you know, a Captain America or certainly a Superman or whatever, like you're, you're sort of your classic heroes, He's really like, you know, there's there's a lot of barrier to uh, cozying up to Batman. And meanwhile, like Jack Nicholson certainly is the show in the first Batman. And then you get into the Schumachers where like nobody is going bigger than Jim Carrey and (laughs) and Schwarzenegger and Uma Thurman and those movies and Tommy Lee Jones. Jones. (laughs) And then you get into the um, the Nolans and it's like Bale's certainly going bigger than any of the previous Batmans. But like you're up against, you know, Heath Ledger as the Joker and you're just sort of, you know, not, you're not getting uh, more, more attention than that. And so part of that is just sort of like, that's kind of the Batman deal. And, but like, obviously the thing about, you know, Burton being much more interested, even just in like a characterization, like there's, if you, if you were to be like, what's Batman's deal in this movie? And you're like, occasionally horny for catwoman and that's sort of the extent of it he's like a little bit annoyed by max shrek and that's like and that's sort of the extent of of what's going on and luckily for me is probably a bigger character than even bruce wayne is in this movie right right yeah Yeah. because it, it there is there is an element i think of the first tim burton batman that bruce wayne is a bigger character than batman it's more about bruce wayne than it is about batman and to this point like we don't really even get much bruce wayne in this movie until maybe the second half yeah it's, you know it is interesting because like he I, watching it this time you know i've seen it innumerable times but i was paying a lot more attention to sort of like the batman arc if there is one in the movie mm-hmm. and it is interesting that he's sort of he is flat-footed for the majority of this movie when it comes to like he is getting outwitted almost at every turn and he's the big hero at the end he obviously saves gotham from the penguin army and he saves the children from their untimely death at the hands of right. penguin so like he is the big hero at the end but it doesn't feel particularly triumphant or victorious in a way that i feel like the whole movie is so muted like i, I one of the big things yeah. as i was doing some research on it just about like it's clear tim burton didn't really want to do this movie like he felt like, you know, it was a huge success and and I'm sure he was happy for all the doors that it opened for him. It allowed mm-hmm. him to make Edward Scissorhands. It allowed him to make Nightmare Before Christmas and his brand was evolving. And I think he was just sort of like, why am I going to do this? And then basically it was, they were like, you could do anything you want. And he was like, okay, I'm going to make the antithetical studio movie yeah. that no one really wants to get made. And I think that that's kind of why it feels like a lot of like, thumbing people in the eye and kind of doing shit because he can get away with doing it yeah it's also though you look at it from our perspective now at the end of this or what seems like the end of whatever wave of uh superhero movies that the last 15 years has had and 
this movie is in possession of like every single thing that we complain about superhero movies losing or not having we're like it's funny it's horny it's idiosyncratic it's sort of you know it's very much an auteurist you know movie where like it's not a it's you know there are no uh, corporate concerns really or if there are they're being completely overridden it's um it's everything that we look at now and we wish superhero movies were and it's funny to think that back then like even critics were being like this movie spends too much time on character building and now it's just sort of just like now it's just like you know it's it's amazing to imagine you know a critic talking about that where it's just like this movie could use a little few a little more fight scenes for the kids and stuff like that it's like oh okay well, well like yeah. this is sort of a question for everybody but i feel like the the equivalent today is it Todd Phillips Joker i mean is that kind I... of I actually have an answer to this. I, 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 think, I think the 2023, the Batman, 2022, the Batman yes, yes. is the perfect Venn diagram intersection of this movie and David Fincher. Like mm-hmm, mm-hmm. it is doing, I, that movie is one I've seen like a dozen times. I love really? that movie. I can like, okay. it's a comfort watch for me in a weird way. Interesting. In the okay. same way that Zodiac is. I want to revisit it. I really, I really like, I like, like it on streaming a lot. Like I liked it in the theater a lot, but like on streaming, you can just kind of pause it whenever it's just like, it's a million hours long. I'm sure. Yeah. It's, it's, it, I, I sort of agree that it's too long. And I also am kind of like, this is a little too short. This could be like six hours longer. I just want to hang out here. But like, want the penguin. That is, there's not enough HBO of Max. Colin Farrell going, what do you want? I'm a guy. That like, is a movie that takes the dreadful self-seriousness of Nolan. And I like, like those nolan movies i think the dark knight's pretty fantastic i like batman begins a lot dark knight rises is a mess but a fun mess yeah. i think uh, it is a fun mess i agree with you yeah. there yeah but like and then especially the Zack snyder read on batman and it tries to introduce a little bit more of this horniness um zoe kravitz is so hot in that movie and it tries to introduce yeah. a little bit more of the goofiness and it also tries to, then it pulls from Fincher, the detective thing. To me, that's like the closest we've come, but it's, it's nowhere near like this movie's weird, mournful. Like, no. <laughs> but I also feel like, I mean, I, I, I actually, I didn't hate uh, the Batman. Um, I, I thought it was long in the theater and I've wanted to rewatch it for what it's worth. I think there's a lot of stuff that I, it should be my favorite movie ever, but ultimately it's not. So I don't know what that says, mm-hmm. but I'm not a giant fan of that movie either. Yeah. yeah. You're this all going to come me... around by the end of this podcast. That's my mission. <laughs> that I like. It's funny that you mentioned like the detective thing, because like, yes, except like that's maybe my main hang up in the movie is that like all the detective stuff I think is really bad in that movie. I, I think... think, yeah. Yeah. I think like within, the, if I'm tracking the reality of that movie's detective story and I, I totally buy that like Batman doesn't get it, but the audience gets there so far ahead of him. So that, far yeah. ahead. Mm-hmm. So far ahead. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I want to give a little bit of context for Batman Returns for the people that don't know what happens in Batman Returns. Uh, The monstrous penguin, played by Danny DeVito, who lives in the sewers beneath Gotham, joins up with wicked, shock-headed businessman Max Shrek, played by Christopher Walken, to topple the Batman, played by Michael Keaton, once and for all. But when Shrek's timid assistant, Selina Kyle, played by Michelle Pfeiffer, finds out and Shrek tries to kill her, she's transformed into the sexy Catwoman. She teams up with the penguin and Shrek to destroy Batman. But sparks fly unexpectedly when she confronts the Cape Crusader. Batman Returns opened on June 18th, 1992, against Sister Act, House Sitter, Lethal Weapon 3, Far and Away, and The Mighty Ducks. Uh, I get to always when I hear sitter. some of these box office like weekends. Honestly, is that to not God. crazy? 
are we are we doing lethal weapon three because like I have, want, ne- I have never seen a lethal weapon so it feels like i should probably <laughs> start with lethal weapon three yeah the pg-13 one is the one you should start with <laughs> yeah I think I mentioned I've mentioned on your podcast before one one version mm-hmm. of this podcast the VHS tape I had taped off of a HBO free preview weekend that had Sister Act and House Sitter on it that I would watch. So you, go, you were there constantly, mm-hmm. just absolutely constantly. I loved those two movies. I mean, so Justice for House Sitter. House Sitter is a genuinely I, underrated. House movie. Sitter rules. I've yeah. never seen House Sitter, so we'll be covering it up. We'll Line do it, it now. Up. But it yeah. is one of those. I mean, this is we're smack dab in the summer. So obviously this is you know, big time for Hollywood, but still like the spectrum of what you're getting uh, at the theaters, as we've discussed on many occasions on this podcast in 92 Trump's even honestly what you were getting in 99 when we did that podcast. Like it really does feel like we're at a real kind of fulcrum point for Hollywood where you're getting a ton of shit, which mm-hmm. slowly dissipates as you get deeper into the nineties. But uh, this movie would go on to make $266 million on a $60 million budget. There's different numbers floating around on this budget. Could be 80, could be 60. It made a profit. Just, yes. just to return to house sitter for a second. Mm-hmm. Please. Yeah. Yes. I've never seen it. That said, I was like hanging out with some friends <laughs> the week, like shortly after both of these movies came out. Mm-hmm. And one of them, one of the people had, one of my friends had seen both. And he was like, Batman Returns is a huge, he was like Gene Shell. He was like, Batman Returns is a huge disappointment. Tim Burton lets the fans down. House Sitter, though, is a new classic. <laughs> <laughs> Half of that statement like is that correct. For real? Yeah. <laughs> that, that's incredible. Uh, it, Batman Returns has 81% on Rotten Tomatoes from critics, 73% from audiences. Rod Reaper gave the film two stars. Uh, says uh, Tim Burton's Batman Returns, uh, even more than the original Batman, is a dark, brooding film filled with hurt and fear, childhood wounds, and festering adult resentments. Uh, it's also a most intriguing movie, great to look at, fun to talk about. There's no doubt Burton is a gifted director, but is he the right director for Batman? The film opens it. The film opens in cruelty and shame as parents of a deformed baby put him in a bassinet and drop him into the river of a cold, snowy Christmas night. Uh, I give the movie a negative review, and yet I don't think it's a bad movie. It's more of a misguided one made with great creativity, but denying us what we more or less deserve Batman story. Looking back over both films, I think Burton has a vision here and is trying to shape it to the material, but it just won't fit. No matter how hard you try, superheroes and film noir don't go together. Amazing. <laughs> <laughs> he clearly does not know where Batman is going. He does not know where the genre is going. I mean, like, I... Uh, toward the end of his life, like Roger Ebert and I emailed several times, and oh, really? like he had very firm ideas of what a superhero movie should be that just mm. never lined up yeah. with like mm. what do you think I that comes was... from. Is I don't it an know. Age I, thing? I think that maybe when he was a kid, you know, he had very like yeah, he he's he's coming of age at a time when like God, when he was he was a teenager and a college student at the age like when Stan Lee and and Jack Kirby were changing Marvel. So like I wonder if he has kind of this idea of like these should be aimed at, you know, five to sixteen year olds. He does have one other line in the review that I need to read where he says, Batman and Catwoman's few erotic moments together are, alas, so incomplete and unsatisfying look like they might have been trimmed for a PG thirteen rating. All right, Roger. So yeah. What are you getting at exactly? You think that this shit went farther, but they felt like they needed to cut it back? It's not horny enough for you? I he, they, he thinks Tim Burton's like sitting on a reel of some real, real explicit uh, Batman Catwoman scenes. That The denied gratification of those erotic scenes 
deny gratification is the point of those scenes. Correct. Correct. I bet yeah. though there is like five more minutes that is like just in cornier enough that it like went over the line. Sure. And, yeah. <laughs> I mean, when she licks him, it's incredible. Like it, it I mean, it is oh, <laughs> yes. God bless this movie. You can also imagine that there's a threesome cut of this movie somewhere where Batman and Penguin and Catwoman do uh, what we all would no. were, were expecting. And where Batman is in go. the middle. We yeah, we all we know. see his French flipper trick. We've all yeah. read that. We've all read the stories about how this film's original cut had full frontal scenes for both Michael Keaton and Danny DeVito, it's and great. like yes. that was just too much. Yeah, yeah. I got to tell you, Squaresville the, America '92 couldn't handle it. Yeah. The Penguins. I guess onesie doesn't leave much to the imagination. It sure doesn't. You think there's another flipper? <laughs> <laughs> that's that's uh that's how you know it's a Christmas movie. He's in a union suit. That's true. That's a good point. Okay, at the end. Yes, yes. Not to like skip ahead. I no, know that we'll, like we'll jump around, of course, yeah. Um does he die of not being able to get back into the water? If he had made it back into the water, would he have been able? Is he like that much of an aquatic creature that he needs to replenish his? I always took it as, and again, this is me reading into it because it's a little loosey goosey with this stuff, but it feels as though there is toxic waste and whatnot in yeah. the water. Yeah, that makes so sense. I'm wondering if he's poisoned in some way all by the what's black in the water. Low sort of. lifelong mercury poisoning from <laughs> eating all of the toxic fish. See, this is what Jeremy Piven was talking Gotham. about that one time. So, <laughs> you know. Exactly. Have you ever have you ever seen the Kevin Smith movie Tusk? I feel like that I explains all yeah. your I that explains all your answers. It actually does. It explains those. everything, yeah. all the problems with this movie. <laughs> you know, I, I do think that it is interesting. When I was talking with uh, Daniel Waters about sort of there's a bunch of scripts, right? Like this starts with a Sam Ham draft. It goes to Daniel Waters, who kind of throws away a lot of Sam Ham's draft, does his own. And then Wesley Strick is brought in to sort of streamline and kind of make it, quote unquote, lighter. I don't know. Um, so I do think that and and from Daniel's words, it sounds like Wesley was the one who added a lot of the horny stuff in there, which I think is interesting. Um, I wouldn't have thought that. But yeah. it, it does feel like if you actually did board out this script, you'd have a lot of questions. <laughs> you know, you'd definitely be like motives and why people are doing what they're doing. But I know. like... <clears throat> Again, to be clear, I really, I really do I respect and like this movie. I don't know why there's like a weird business intrigue politics plot just sort of grafted <laughs> onto everything else. I love Penguin the Runners stuff. for Mayor. I love okay. Penguin Running yeah. for Mayor. The Max Shrek stuff. I love Max Shrek as a character, sure. but the like business machinations and we're going to like have this guy take over his man. And like my favorite line in the movie is... Penguin's like, isn't the election in November and it's, it's, it's December. Like, it's Max Shrek's like, don't, don't worry about, about it. it. Uh, but yeah, there like that elements of it is just like I don't quite know what we're yeah. doing here, everybody. It does. Some definitely... of us are more interested in yeah. power plant politics than the rest of us. Yeah. Fun. <laughs> yeah, this movie takes place in like the span of a week. That's, yeah. that's crazy you know? too. Like the yeah. time compression on it is. He becomes yeah. there's a full fledged mayoral campaign that like <laughs> is lives and dies, and dies yeah. <laughs> over the course of like a week. That's perfect. Okay, I, I'm coming around. It's perfect. No, no, see, see, yeah. All right. I do think, though, that one of the things this time around that kind of jumped out at me is the Selena Max relationship mm -hmm. and how 
um, I hate to say progressive or, or sort of, you know, feminist that storyline is and how it speaks in 2023 even more loudly than maybe it did in 1992. And I do think that her, like, their arc I found really fascinating. I love, you know, the final confrontation that she has with him, um, that she literally kills him with a kiss. Um, it, it, it all feels really sort of um, as though they really cared about that. Do you know what I mean? Like of of sort yes. of everything in the movie, Selena Kyle and Catwoman is clearly the thing that they feel the most interesting that's the real climax of the the end of the movie is her and max Mm -hmm. much more so than batman and penguin correct well because max shrek is the real villain i mean they're all this is the first batman movie to have three villains in it (laughs) but max shrek is in the emotional arc of this movie the true villain of the piece and Mm -hmm. you know because that's the thing about the batman villains uh going forward in at least the 90s movies is that all of these villains are kind of deeply sympathetic in some type of way i mean the penguin probably the most sympathetic this Mm -hmm. tragic character who's essentially destroyed by uh, you know what happens to him in infancy yeah but you know if the a story i think of this movie like the first like most important story is the penguins mayoral campaign basically and then maybe the b slash c story is selena and bruce but then yes that other one is max and selena well because the penguin story is is kind of twofold right it is the mayoral campaign but when everything is said and done it's really about him wanting to kill all the firstborns yeah right <laughs> well the, so it's here's christmas the it's, you know for kids <laughs> It's we talk about these sort of eras of Batman as being very distinct from each other, the Burtons and the Schumachers and the Nolans and the um, the Zack Snyders and whatnot. And yet Batman Returns is the one that feels like it has some sort of connective tissue to the Nolans in a few ways in in the sort of like the darkness of it, but also like the Nolan movies imperfectly, I would say, um, at least sort of bring a kind of capitalist critique or you know Gotham some sort politics. of angle to it yes. right and this one it's interesting to see back in 92 and i don't think that like tim burton was too terribly interested in like the politics of capitalism and yet like catwoman's clearly an anarchist and penguin is very much looking to like strike a blow against the wealthy fat cats and whatever and the like entrenched you know, uh, oligarchy <laughs> that's happening Retribution. in yeah. Gotham. And like Max Shrek is like the most ca- like capitalism with a capital C sort of character. And then you just get all of this. And like Batman then is sort of in this uncomfortable position as always of just like, well, I'd agree with you, except for all these millions of dollars that I'm sort of sitting on. And like, and like, I want to do the right thing, but also like, you know, that I'm like one of the good, I'm like, I'm like the good billionaire and whatever. And yeah, it, um, it makes me think of like the, the fishy swah moment where I'm like, where you're just yeah. like, okay, so Bruce doesn't know that fishy swah is supposed to be cold. Right. Is He's that supposed that to make us like him? Guys. Yeah. He's not yeah. That yeah. Fancy. He's just like you. He doesn't like cold potato soup either. It's fine. Yeah. It's the, the rich are, are ostentatious. Yeah. I heard fishy swan. I was like, is that the scene where Penguin just eats a raw fish in front of everybody? Because I like that. <laughs> that That's that, good. By the way. That is also the, the, supposed the, to be cold. So. Uh, Penguin is, 
a truly revolting character from like i respect the hustle i do oh yeah yeah i do too but every time i watch it there are moments where i'm just like he's just trying to gross us out right like he's just zooming into the penguin's disgusting mouth Mm -hmm. just to rub our faces and how disgusting this man is the penguin eating that fish and sucking back like this chunk of fish guts into his mouth but they had no time to take him take oswald to the dentist they were running a mayoral (laughs) campaign in under a week i'll I'll say say though like oh sorry go ahead emily if we're doing a fuck Mary kill on the villains in this movie, I'm Marion Penguin. I'm Marion Penguin every Wait, day. You're killing oh. Batman. I'm killing Shrek. I'm killing Max oh, Shrek. Oh, the villain. Yeah, the villain. Yeah. I'm, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm gonna, I'm yeah. gonna fuck Catwoman. I don't want to tie her down. I, you know, <laughs> yeah. I think she deserves better than me. See, but in that way, that's why I'm marrying her because, like, we can have an arrangement. You know what I mean? Whereas, yeah. like. Mm-hmm. I think well, one wild night with the penguin is maybe all I need with the penguin. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, that's stability. The penguin at least has a plan. Catwoman's <laughs> just kind of... I also have to say, as repulsed by the penguin as I might very well be, he might be great in bed. He seems to talk about it a lot. He seems to... I so, buy it. I think uh, he's... Yeah. I would have his babies. <laughs> I think they would be beautiful. Yeah, what are baby penguins called? We should figure that out. We that's should, a good should... question. Let me chicks? see if I can find that. I think. Yeah, I guess. Chicks. Imagine. Yeah, maybe it's just that simple. Um, but what the the thing um about Burton is, and much as like, and I certainly I love all the Burton movies that everybody loves, and I sure. you know don't talk about all the Burton movies that nobody talks about. Um, there is some degree with Burton of. I'm such an outsider. Nobody understands me. My hair is all weird. You know what I mean? You it's know. just like the Edward Scissorhands. And I love Edward Scissorhands. Trust me. Sure. Um, but that feels like, yeah, Edward Scissorhands is such an outcast. He has this like, you know, angelic face and and is, you know, is sweet and whatever. And, it's and just he's like, a hot guy. And he's a hot guy. Whereas like at le- with Penguin, the one thing that I really love about Penguin is Burton really does make the case for like, did this guy ever really have a chance because he just nobody wants to look at him because he's so repulsive and like that is human nature in a nutshell is just like there are some people who are so outside the boundaries of like what we deem as acceptable acceptable to look at that Mm -hmm. like that they are just outside of the norm and like and you there's a way of reading that as penguins just like penguin never had a shot you know what I mean? Penguin was dumped into the river, and and that's I totally of... hear that. I mean, you know I do I mean? think it's funny. I, I was watching. I just rewatched relatively recently uh, Benjamin Button um, because mm. Blank Check was covering Fincher, and then I just uh, was watching Dead Ringers, the TV show, and it feels like there's a lot of unwanted children, weird kind of baby things in both yeah. of those films. Obviously, and this movie, you know, obviously opens with um, the birth of Oswald Cobblepot. Um, we never see baby penguin. Uh, we we just see him in a in a metal cage and eating a eating a cat. Eating a um, cat. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Fair. He does eat a cat. Yeah. Listen, so we don't. Baby. He doesn't know. Sustenance. You gotta just like my He's baby. Just relying on so, instinct. My baby will eat whatever. He's stuck in front of him. You so, eat whatever. Yeah. I mean, yeah. there's a great thing that apparently um, when uh, Danny DeVito was. 
apprehensive about taking the role, he met with Burton and Burton had painted this, this painting, um, which subsequently I think has been printed in some of his books um, of this uh, little diminutive character sitting on a red and white striped ball with the caption, my name is Jimmy, but my friends call me the hideous penguin boy. <laughs> um, and that was what got DeVito to sign on. So, I mean, it does feel like they were on the same wavelength. And by the way, like Danny DeVito's comedies, notoriously very pitch black comedies. Oh, not yeah. A surprise that he would gravitate towards this. I, right. think, uh, I think we're talking about like a lot of like the capitalism angle, the sexual harassment angle. This is all stuff that like people were interested in at mm-hmm. this time. Sexual harassment especially was like mm-hmm. a oh, new yeah. topic that was like new in the news. And people were like, sometimes you shouldn't make a woman sleep with you to give her a promotion. <laughs> That's bad. And people and were like, we no, it's elect? not. It's fine. That's the way things work. <laughs> but like. And then Clinton is like. I think. I think what's yeah. like really fascinating is the writers of this film mm-hmm. and the actors of this film are all very interested in that stuff. And Tim Burton knows enough to get out of its way, but he could not care less about any of it. He's just kind of it. like, he just like, he's interested in, I think this is my Tim Burton problem. He's interested in freaks and outsiders, but not in any sort of systemic way. He's interested in them as like, yeah. you know, uh, uh, like, individuals who like exist outside the system and the problem you know the problem is like with the system but the system only has to like warp enough to let them in it's i don't know i find him very tiring i like i, I like I, a lot of his movies this one's probably my favorite of his so just that, before that, we I continue mean, you... uh baby penguins are called uh chicks or nestlings just uh Ooh, thank you. nestlings you very cute it is chris i didn't mean to cut you off oswald nestling cop Um, well no i mean you could even apply that to the penguin and this is kind of an extension of some of the other things we were saying is like penguin kidnaps max shrek blackmails him about the toxic waste but max shrek basically immediately gets the upper hand and it uses penguin as a pawn for his own means uh in the end and like flips that immediately yeah Yeah, i mean to sort of i I want to do kind of a a tim burton deep dive here for a second because i do think it's worth Mm -hmm. examining like i you know i i I grew up as a big tim burton fan he's obviously a big influence obviously sleepy hollow was a very big movie for me and was obviously hugely influential in me creating a show called sleepy hollow i I do feel like oh they were about the same thing yeah i know crazy right um i (laughs) i do think that he's continually and more times than not probably fairly maligned for being style over substance right he clearly is a guy who is much more interested in um in visuals and in sort of uh production design and costumes and just sort of he clearly loves movie making Mm-hmm. But I don't know that he necessarily likes to dig particularly deep yeah. under the surface. Yeah, yeah. He he Which came up through the world of animation. And like animation, of course, you can create beautiful, heart-stopping masterpieces. But like animation is so visually driven. And I think it is a space where people who don't ultimately have an interest in like the realities of human life can like sort sure. of flourish. <laughs> um, you know, obviously I'm, you know, Miyazaki and some of those folks like are telling sure. great stories within that medium that are about human uh, reality. But like you, if you have a unique design sensibility, you can, you can skate by on a lot there. And also to be fair to Tim Burton, if, if a piano had fallen on him in 2004, 
his reputation would be so much better right now. Yeah. You know? Yes. I mean, yeah. yes. Fair. Well, that's yeah. one thing I, that is, I think, ultimately so depressing about where his career has gone is that even if, even mm. if you just say the style over substance type of thing and, you know, we, you're just someone who likes him for the aesthetic experience or you are okay with him just being a visual artist. Mm-hmm. The unfortunate thing is when the movies get bad, they also get ugly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so do. it's like even his well, movies yeah, that yeah. rely so much on aesthetics, he's giving you an aesthetic you don't want. Well, I and think like I think it's it's tapping into the technology angle, which is the problem mm-hmm. too, which is that at a certain point it becomes unfeasible for a filmmaker who loved tactility and loved to build things Mm -hmm. to actually get to do that, right? Like, I think the fulcrum point for him in a lot of ways is Mars Attacks, which he notoriously wanted the aliens to be stop motion. And then the studio was like, we're not doing that. Take a look at special effects. It can do what you want to do. And he looked at them. He's like, yeah, actually, I'm I'm okay with this. And that was the beginning of the end because it's just like... I think there is nobody, no filmmaker in Hollywood who has been more hurt by digital color grading, which is like Mm -hmm. a huge problem for a lot of filmmakers. But like Burton, uh, Big Fish looks really beautiful. That's digitally graded like really well. And then he's just kind of like, everything looks the same. And you're like, okay, it's... Yeah, yeah, I I think he's been just decimated by that. I want to sort of... um... I think it's also worth noting there's two things. The first is the the movies that he loves, the the filmmakers that he loves are not of sort of he's he loves B movies. He grew right. up on like shitty B movies right. in Burbank, right? Like so and I don't I don't mean shitty, but I just mean, you know, disposable, I guess, to some degree. So mm-hmm. he's he's never been a guy, from what I've read anyway, that's really gravitated towards like things of real depth like right. he's just a filmmaker that likes you know popcorn movies right like yeah. he loved those old 3d movies from that time and i think if you look at his filmography it's just it's all there it's just that's that's kind of it like that's all he really well, wants to and talk yet about. when his movies were really hitting yes. he was able to it's not like it's smoke and mirrors it's not like you know Wee and beetlejuice and edward scissorhands and those movies are smoke and mirrors but he's able to get just enough of a kind of universal sort of broad sure. strokes characterization of these, you know, outcasts and whatever. It's not like Beetlejuice goes particularly deep on Lydia's sort of uh, uh, character. And yet by the end of that movie, you feel really triumphant that she's able to like, you know, uh, whatever. She got an A on the test and she's floating up to the ceiling with Barbara and, <laughs> and adam or whatever and you're you're happy that she's found some version of like parents who she likes to be around and like that kind of thing and and peewee you know certainly you know it's it's easy to get invested in that kind of thing and it's i and i think it is a matter of like the less tactile the aesthetics are able to be he does lose you know maybe it's not a surprise that you sort of lose that ability to also you know, get just enough of a character. I think his, obviously his most sort of character focused movie is probably Ed Wood. Mm-hmm. And, um, and that's maybe a movie that you really can look and like, you really see where he does pour all of that, you know, um, that actual like narrative focus into, but there is, there is a way when in those early movies of just, um, 
you get you do get something out of those. You do get something on a character level, sure. you know, out of those movies. And I think you get a little <laughs> bit of that in Batman Returns with Catwoman, certainly, and with I think I would say also Penguin. This was a movie I've I was always a person, predictably, who, you know, was sort of just like all about Catwoman and then like DeVito's Penguin, I could sort of take or leave. And watching it this time was probably the first time I really had an appreciation for what DeVito's doing with the movie and what Burton's doing with that character. So um, I feel like it's worth it's worth noting because I do think that the reason that Ed Wood is sort of, I would imagine, universally kind of pointed to as his best film Mm -hmm. is because... A, it's a love letter to everything he loves about movies, right? Like mm-hmm. it's it, it is everything Tim Burton there, right, on its face. He doesn't have to rely on any of the sort of usual tricks of the things that he does. Um, it, it's just a really beautiful character study about loving movies, right? Like, and mm-hmm. and that's why it works. And then I would also argue that Sleepy Hollow, which is sort of the last real kind of tactile movie, like sound stages and like building shit mm-hmm. it's kind of the last one for him um that movie feels also like it's a nod to those hammer films that he loved as a kid like it's that kind of stuff that i think works well for him and then he just drops the ball you wouldn't call out planet of the apes because that would not would not um i uh yeah i think that edward is is probably edward or batman returns is, are yeah, my favorites and like like I, yeah. but i do think like i think a lot about one of the pe- one of the types of filmmaker I tend to bounce off of is a filmmaker who tends to make movies assembled out of other movies. Like Edgar Wright is someone I just am not on the wavelength I of. I love nope. Tarantino. And I think that, Tar- but I think that what's, what's interesting about Tarantino and that maybe is like an interesting comparison point to Tim Burton is Tarantino feels like he continues to watch every movie yeah. and he's pulling them all in and he's reassembling them in his head. I'm not sure Tim Burton watches movies anymore. I think he yeah. just kind of has yeah. his idea of what a movie is and he just keeps making it. I do think that, you know, all of the knocks against Tim Burton, he deserves, you know, the last 10 years have not been particularly kind to him 10, 15 years at this point. Yeah. I think that, I mean, I kind of ride for Dumbo. I kind of enjoyed that movie. It's fine. It was, I mean, it's certainly a high point for him, but I want to ask uh, Joe and Chris yeah. about uh, Tim Burton and Oscars, because yes. I do mm-hmm. think that there are, Movies he's made specifically, I want to say Big Eyes, I want to say Big Fish, you know, the big movies the he's big made. The big movies, yes. That yeah. feel very kind of like, even Sweeney Todd feels a little bit like Oscar Beatty. I mean, yeah. I mean, I feel like Sweeney Todd was the last hurrah for Tim Burton doing anything decent beyond <laughs> service level. And like that movie has problems, but sure. it. It it really feels like the last time Tim Burton made a movie, <laughs> um, you know, yeah. where it, yeah. you know, he doesn't feel checked out. Um, and I think some of that maybe has to do with the creative risk that he is taking and him being someone who doesn't make musicals, making a musical, um, the risk of casting people who can't sing <laughs> in your musical. Yeah. Um, but no, I mean, I think just some of the visual storytelling of that movie, I would go to bat for. I really like that. Movie. Um, yeah. Yeah, I do too. But big, big you know, eyes. That... Yeah. Big eyes is an interesting one. We did our episode on that one. And that's yeah. one where I think, I think that's where the last sort of Burton 
true believers really had their hearts broken where if you mm-hmm. were if you were hoping that Burton had one more sort of like crack at respectability almost like and I mean it's not like respectability needs to be the be all and end all but like there's just there's nothing to it like you you it's you such a you, weird movie it's so it's like, almost more emblematic of his limitations <laughs> as a filmmaker than say something like Alice in Wonderland right because it is ultimately at the end of the day a human drama and like you could you can almost kind of starkly compare it to ed wood because they're both movies about real people but ed wood is the stronger movie and i think it's because it's about characters he can relate to and that he personally kind of cares about and he is invested in those people's artistry and like tim burton the the artist who amy adams plays i forget the uh woman's name margaret uh yes she he she was an artist that he did actually love and care about but like she's a painter he's a filmmaker you he know of course Edward loved her art him. she painted exclusively children with giant eyes like <laughs> there's there's no more target audience for that than she brought him into corporate reality yeah um, i do think yeah. though to, to your point though if you you're putting those two films next to each other i big eyes is is a oddly sort of nuanced movie about art versus artist and like sort of the intrinsic values that come with that and and it's a moral quandary in a lot of ways mm-hmm. that is not what i go to tim burton for that isn't like it's not his strong suit <laughs> I am. well i mean i and i think the reason why it's emblematic of a lot of his problems and sure. like his limitations the things he doesn't do well in movies is more just the simple human drama of it you don't watch that movie and care enough about these characters you know mm-hmm. it's a pretty clear cut you know narrative arc and i i think the level of story investment it just it's lacking and this even when it's you know it's fine in that movie you know, its best moments, it never really rises to what it should just at a base level. I I mean, I guess, you know, Emily, I'm curious as to your thoughts on like, what? I mean, I I guess the question, you know, we we have, we have Beetlejuice 2 to look forward to next year, guys. So that that's coming whether we like it or not. But I, I do wonder, like, do you think there's a third act in Tim Burton's career? Or do you think we're just... I mean, he's nominated for two Emmys this year for Wednesday. So uh, they should have called Beetlejuice two Tootlejuice. That's what they should have done. Uh, Be Tootlejuice. I can't yeah. believe they didn't go Hawaiian after all these years. Listen, uh, I do think that he has he has hooked up with Jenna Ortega, who seems to hate working with him, but continues to. And like, I feel like that could be a rich relationship for him. Because like, I just hope he doesn't start dating her because it seems like that seems his. I feel like I have a lot of faith in Jenna Ortega. Not, I mean, I had faith in Ava Green too. Listen, I think that. I have, I think Jenna Ortega is a very fun young presence. And I think that she kind of fits his aesthetic well. And I can see a world where he lets himself be challenged to like make something good for her. But it looks like he's just going to cast her as like the daughters of people from previous movies. She's just his new Winona Ryder. (laughs) Exactly. I mean, I don't know if anything will come of any of this, but I I just think that his, his, 
his career is fascinating. I think there's a reason why people still love his stuff. It's mostly because of the stuff he made prior to 1996. But, you know, those things, those flags are planted pretty deep as we talk about with this movie. I mean, like, I do always forget that, like, Sweeney Todd, which is probably in my top, yeah, it's definitely my top 10, might be in my top five. It's like 2007. Like, he was still, he was, and this is another thing I was thinking about is the best thing that happened to Batman Returns was weirdly The Dark Knight. Because the mm-hmm. big thing that overhanged this, overhung this movie for a long time was that no one's as good as Nicholson. Nicholson is the perfect Batman mm-hmm. villain. Joker's such a titanic performance in the yeah. history of popcorn cinema, blah, blah, blah. And then Heath Ledger comes along and is now like sort of the definitive Joker. And we've had like 16 definitive Jokers at this point. I was going to say, it at least opened the door yeah. for the fact that like you could have multiple yeah. definitive Jokers. Yeah. Yeah. So yes. that gave, that opened up a lot of room for... DeVito especially (laughs) obviously people loved Catwoman at the time this movie was released but like Mm -hmm. I think that DeVito Mm -hmm. was held up to the Jack Nicholson standard when he's doing something very different and I think that Heath Ledger he got a Razzie nomination which is insane yeah he's amazing it's he's he's amazing and uh, yeah I but the thing about the Nicholson that is in depth that's the thing I'm talking about too just like it's easy to look at this movie and be like Penguin is such a gross character. I don't want to. I don't want to see that Razzie nom- and the the Razzies are lowest common denominators. So, the thing that I think is more outrageous is of the five Saturn nominations that this movie got. Michelle Pfeiffer wasn't one of them. What are five genre performances that year by actresses that are better than Pfeiffer in this movie? Like, what the fuck are we doing here? Oh I mean, my God, I Pfeiffer in this see. movie is. I mean, t- truly, if if you oh, they put nominated a bench in my head, seven, they nominated seven performances that who year. Who were they? Okay, <laughs> and like, all right, most of these are good. They're just outside of their. Okay. Sure. Virginia Madsen and Candyman wins. That's kind of a rad win. I like that. Yeah, that's good. Sure, she's she's great in that. Yeah, Meryl and Death Becomes Her. No problems. With Fun, her. sure. Aaron right. Stone and Basic yeah. Instinct. Incredible. Yeah, Re- Rebecca De Mornay and Hand That Rocks the Cradle. A fun performance, not better no. than what Pfeiffer is giving in Batman Returns. No. Sigourney and Alien 3. Mm-hmm. Sure. sure. It's Sigourney. It's it, it's yeah. Ripley. That's it's fine. Shirley and Twin Peaks Firewalk with me. Yes. Um, and then number one. Winona Ryder and Bram Stoker's Dracula. Lord knows there are a few people who love Bram Stoker's Dracula better than me. I'm not like that performance ahead of Pfeiffer as Catwoman is objectively insane. I mean, yeah. and Rebecca's insane. the most glaring to me. I yeah, I could have bumped either of those two. Like, like Michelle Pfeiffer should absolutely be in there. Um, I, she's the Find only a one. In, Find yeah. a space. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. I mean, yeah. here's a question to you guys, and maybe this is me showing, you know, my my love for this performance too much. But like, if if Michelle Pfeiffer put in this performance today, I, I think people would like talk about her for an Oscar nomination. Yes, they would. They would. <laughs> Unfortunately, this is the year she's nominated for Love Field, correct? A movie I've Joe? never seen. Yeah. It's a horrible correct. movie, and she's not good in it. And yeah. uh, originally, Age of Innocence was also co- supposed to come out in 92. It was supposed to come I out think, at the end of 92, but it got pushed. To yeah, 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 yeah. Um, so, especially if you would have had in, in the universe that exists where both of these movies come out in the same year, I mean, wow yeah um there's there's much less of a taboo these days about like talking about a you know a superhero an action superhero movie um in terms of performance quality and because even at the time it's not like it took 
a while for people to come around on that being a great performance. The reviews, it was the one thing people, most critics liked about the movie was Pfeiffer's performance. Mm -hmm. And, and then as the years went on, it just came, you know, became more and more beloved. And, and as the years have gone on, now you look back and you're just like, man, like we, we maybe lost our moment with Pfeiffer. You know what I mean? Like that moment has maybe passed and it's like, it's too bad because you look at that and it's just like, like she wasn't going to beat Emma Thompson for Howard's end. Nobody was beating Emma Thompson for Howard's no. end that year. But like you know, that would have been a really kind of like groundbreaking nomination. I well, bet I, yeah, she sure. could have beat Marissa Tomei for supporting actress. Oh, I if they that could have happened. Well, that, they yeah. supporting. Yeah, they probably yeah. would have pushed a performance like this into supporting. That's true. Yeah. That's true. That's a very good point. Yeah. I I want to talk about Pfeiffer for a second because I do feel like I mean this is my favorite Pfeiffer performance, but like it's neck and neck with Fabulous Baker Boys because I think both of those performances are just unbelievable, and they I are. do feel like Hollywood kind of. I don't want to say didn't know what to do with her, but like she's a prime example of being too beautiful for her own good. And I think the critics tending to be like, yeah, she's pretty, but can she really act? And like every time she gives you a performance far better than the that she's being given. And I just think it's, it is one of those things where like she obviously Grease 2, Scarface, Lady Hawk, Witches of Eastwick. She's amazing in Married to the Mob. Uh, dangerous liaison um you know fabulous baker boys frankie and johnny the russia house like these are all just kind of like anonymous movies that don't really exist we gotta do the russia frankie and johnny is a better movie than it has any right to be the russia house did that have oscar buzz russia house definitely had oscar buzz um it was a golden globe nominee i'm pretty sure for something um uh, frankie and johnny i will agree chris is we did an episode on that a while back um Better than it has any right to be. She's great in it. And there's a Barbara Walters interview that she does around that time promoting that movie that mm-hmm. is worth looking up on YouTube because okay. Barbara really tries to hang on her this idea that she's uh, too aloof to mm-hmm. um, um, for her own good, kind of, and that she's, you know, uh, 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 icy and, and mm-hmm. Pfeiffer. Is Barbara ha- wants her to tap dance, basically. Pfeiffer is having none of it. It's the most confrontational interview that doesn't involve any kind of like actual like fighting. It's so no, I'm definitely watching. Like mm-hmm. Pfeiffer is is the the claws are the claw. It's not even like it's not it's not catty. It's she is just ceding absolutely no ground, and it's it's wonderful <laughs> to watch. It's really something. But it's it, you know you mentioned Joe this idea of like did we opportunity or did did it sort of you know. The, the career that could have been get away from her because it does feel like you got Batman Returns and Love Field. She gets another nomination for Love Field. Age of Innocence is ninety three. Then you got Wolf. You like Wolf, Emily? I just saw of- Wolf for the first time recently. Oh, what, what a weird fucking movie. weird movie! That is a movie. The same kid who was like uh, how Sitter, a new classic, loved Wolf. So there you go. There you go. Nice. They just let them make that movie. <laughs> that weird movie. What that movie is, about- is bizarre? I, I like Wolf. I'm like 95 percent sure that this movie. is true. Um, the VHS box for Wolf Ugh. had half of each of their faces yes. on either yes. side, and so if you lined them up at Blockbuster together, you would have half of Nicholson's face. Because like, and it, it, I think if you could like flip the box over, and you could do mm-hmm. half of Nicholson's face and half of Pfeiffer's face, like right next to each other, and it was like super weird. Um, uh, that's kind of that's the beginning of the end for her. I mean, yeah. not to say that she doesn't make movies that make money. Dangerous Minds makes money. You know what I mean? Like, One Fine Day is a cute movie. 
Dangerous Minds was nominated like, for the best movie at the uh, MTV Movie Awards that year, so there is that. Well, that that tracks, but it's like you know, <laughs> up close and personal. Uh, you know, obviously, up Emily, we talked like Story of Us, hit, right? Yeah, Story of Us, yeah. absolutely one of the best. Up close and personal made. wasn't a that it was marginally successful, um, but the song. Oh like, yeah, the soundtrack was big. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like, I think, I think, really, one of the things is like she gets into a zone where she starts starring in these adaptations of big like books, and some mm-hmm. of the like White Oleander is a pretty good movie, and like she, and she's great in it. She's, yeah, yeah, and mm-hmm. it's just like, but like these movies end up feeling they fall into like the gap where uh, the '90s and 2000s were not kind to women directors, and she worked with a lot of women directors or mm-hmm. people who were directing films based on books written by women. And like that tends to like to the ocean. Yeah. So like, (sighs) and like some of those movies are good, like white Oleander and like white Oleander should have been an Oscar player. And it just wasn't. She was nominated. nominated, I want to say like she was, she came close. Yeah. um, So it's, and then she takes like four years off and that I think just, just Mm -hmm. totally. She wants to raise her kids, which is to be married to David E. Kelly and raise her kids, which is fine. Multi multimillionaire. I, I want to talk about her as Catwoman because this is, probably in my top five favorite performances ever i just absolutely adore her in this movie i think that she is um so like wickedly funny and unbelievably sexy and just i i I don't know it is one of those like talking to daniel about you know the, the the potential of a catwoman movie that almost happened you know, that that Burton wanted to do it, but that it was, I mean, the way he describes it in, in our interview is, I mean, basically like a black and white, like mm. uh, she moves to a small town and it, he wanted it to be like this pastiche of all these like old kind of B-movie kind of pinup girl, black sort of dominatrix kind of, I don't know. It doesn't sound like a movie that was ever going to get made. Would what? But I just... Yeah, I would watch. I mean, obviously, I'd watch it. But I, I do think that, you know, all things considered, Annette Benning was supposed to be the role. She was cast in the role. She got pregnant, bowed out of the role. Sean Young goes on daytime TV. <laughs> Sean Young loses her freaking mind and, yeah. like, goes to Warner Brothers, sneaks onto the studio, gets into his office. Tim Burton talks about hiding under his desk. Like, just weird shit. Who hasn't um, ev- hidden under their desk? <laughs> <laughs> From Sean Young? Yeah. Uh, but this is all to say, like, when Annette Benning bows out, this role becomes a free-for-all, right? Like, every every woman in the certain age mm-hmm. bracket wanted this. I just can't. I mean, I think Annette Benning would have actually been good in this. I, I think that oh, yeah, she probably Grifters would have been I was going to say Grifters yeah. era Annette Benning, Bugsy era Annette Benning. That works. That tracks. Yeah. I think that would have been I think she would have been great. Yeah. And yeah. she has that kind of feline features to her that mm-hmm. obviously Michelle does as well. But like, how could I, it's hard to visualize anyone else other than Michelle Pfeiffer in this role. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, some of the research I did, apparently Michael, she was up for Vicky Vale in the first Batman. And he tells Warner Brothers or Burton to not cast Michelle Pfeiffer because they had dated at one point and he was trying to reconcile with his wife, reconcile with Eaton his wife. Keaton said this. Okay. So Keaton was like, she you can't cast her in this. So then I guess by this point, his marriage was kaput and he could care less. He was free as a bird now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Better for Pfeiffer, though, because Pfeiffer at that point, why the hell would she want to play Vicky Vale? Like, yeah. Yeah. I do love how this movie like gives a little like uh 
a coda to the Vicky Vale story where like Alfred like accidentally let her into the Batcave or whatever and like that's that that the end of that. Um there's yeah. there's a moment um the moment where she's uh comes like flipping end over end over end over end and, and she yes. lands right in front of uh Batman and, and Penguin. And it's the moment that was in all of the trailers, right? Where she just goes meow, right? And but it's but if you watch it in the context of the of the actual movie scene she gives this look of like, oh, what am I supposed to say something? Like, yeah. okay, like meow, like whatever. And it's like, <laughs> and it's just that little bit of difference that is so fucking funny. It's the best. And it's just like that's what makes it. Yeah. And it's so good. Yeah. She, I mean, there, I, there's a yeah, self-awareness sorry, please, please. that Annette Benning might not have had that is just like that little extra two percent that makes it funnier, smarter you know more the the type of thing that elevates it beyond greatness into all-timer territory i also i totally agree and i also wonder if and i I say this with all due respect to annette benning but i do think that michelle pfeiffer is more of a movie star um i think she understands how to the dials maybe a little bit and and i think about like you know michelle pfeiffer's been in which is of eastwick at this point right like michelle pfeiffer has been in sort of wackadoo movies to some degree right right. that i think that she's probably like understands the movie she's in maybe a little better than annette benning would have um i i also just think that michelle just seemed from from everything i read just to be so game i mean they she you know notoriously puts the bird in her mouth which in hindsight she's like i didn't think about what diseases i could get or anything i was just (laughs) like that's a great idea Really, is it behind the scenes footage of her actually cracking the whip and knocking the heads off the mannequins makes the rounds like every two weeks of being like, Did you know Michelle Pfeiffer actually did this? (laughs) I did know that because I've seen this thing go around every single month of the year, and it's worth it. Put it, I also feel like. She had to be vacuum sealed into mm-hmm. the into the costume. Yeah. Um. So she was so tight that they only had a short amount of time for her to perform. Otherwise, she became lightheaded and would pass out. Like it. It, it was a. It was a an undertaking that she was yeah. totally game for, but is insane. I do want to see the scene where one of the stray cats uh, has to zip her up in that thing or or whatever. I do love her little like her dismembered sock monkey has to, you know, get her in the suit. This movie's yep. dedication to having actual animals as sidekicks and like letting you imagine like how that would actually be a benefit in any way is really funny. Like, I really enjoy that. I do love that the explanation for how Catwoman came to be was uh, some cats licked her back. Yeah, to life. it's so tossed off. Fingers. It's so funny. one of the things I remember as a child being absolutely when just she's like, rolling her eyes back, uh, rolling her eyes back. The cat that's like chewing on her finger, yep. but there's blood on her finger, but yep. the cat doesn't appear to be drawing blood. I I remember that's one of those scenes I watched as a kid, as a young trans girl, and was like, I was like taking notes. I was like, is that how that works? Yeah, is that a thing? <laughs> okay, so I, I die need to find some cats, of cats yeah. somewhere. Like, what's going on here? How does this go? I, speaking work? of the animals watching it this time i really got a chuckle out of penguin giving his enormously insane speech 
to a whole flock of penguins yes as though they can understand what he's saying they there's can. one point where there's they like a can. laugh line or an applause line and they yeah. start like cackling and i'm like what's going on here <laughs> the best moment with the penguins is at the end when he's dead and they walk alongside him like yes. pallbearers pallbearer style <laughs> just like usher him into the deep it's so funny it's I like so silly I like watch this in 4K and you can really tell those penguins at the yeah, end are like fake. are yeah. like people in costumes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. that made me like it even more. Like yeah. I think that is my favorite moment in the film is when they like take penguin into the the sea. Well, yes. Emily, I'll just say that we all deserve a penguin funeral. We do. We do. <laughs> can I like can I like can I like share my hottest take ever? Yes. I don't yeah. get Michelle Pfeiffer at all. Like what? I do not like Spicy. as a, as an actress as a performer. Oh, I have lo- I have loved her <laughs> in certain show. roles. I have loved her in certain roles. I think she's fantastic here. I'm not going to say she's not the best Catwoman because like I'm not going to sit here and stand for Anne Hathaway. Though in my heart of hearts, I could. Like Anne Hathaway, I by the way, very good. I Catwoman. love Anne Hathaway. When I see this movie, I'm like. Am I a straight woman? Because like Catwoman just kind of doesn't do anything for me. Like I, I love, I love the performance. I think she's doing sure. fantastic work. But mm-hmm. it's like it is riding this fine. Here, this is also my problem with Death Becomes Her, which I oh. guess we're gonna get to. Oh, we're gonna it. get to it, and we have a hell of a guest she for that is, one. She is riding this fine line of camp and queer sensibility, where you can tell she's done the reading. And Tim Burton has no idea what's going on. And like Tim that Burton tension, <laughs> that yeah. tension is interesting and kind of drives the movie, but I think also kind of lets her down a little bit. I I like I I think she's really good in this movie. I don't I don't get the like long lasting love for this performance though. How long you got? No, it's fine. I'm not no, listening. I, I have 13 pages of notes, so we'll get through all this. But no, I, I do think that I hear you. I mean I don't agree with you obviously, but I, I do sort of I think that it's and I yeah. want to be clear, Death Becomes Her is a movie I actively don't like. So that's gonna be fun. It's gonna be fun <laughs> when we talk with I'm not going to say who it is, oh, but I'll tell you. Oh, I know who it is. Right. I know who it is. All right. It's going to be great. That um, person has won an Oscar, correct? That person is an Academy Award winner. <laughs> if you Fabulous. guys got Goldie Hawn for that episode, I'm going to be so pissed. <laughs> but we I got Meryl. I, we, we got, got Meryl. I do. So just to talk casting just very quickly about some of the, the roads not gone down when it came to the. The first choice that Tim Burton had for Penguin was. Marlon Brando, uh, the studio. <laughs> did this is why you know Marlon that Brando? like this is this is an aesthetics decision. Like yes, okay, yeah. <laughs> Tim got his book of fat people out, fat people in Hollywood, and he just started thumbing through. Yeah. Incidentally, Marlon Brando, a uh, fellow, he might have been the winner for worst supporting actress at uh, worst supporting actor at the Razzies that year for fourteen ninety two. Conquest of He's America. I didn't even know the yes. movie we Hold have on. covered on our podcast. I got I got to look this up because it was uh that that category was so weird that year and like I don't think he's in that Christopher Columbus movie. I think he's in the other okay. Christopher Columbus okay, movie. No. He was nominated but lost to Tom Selleck in Christopher Columbus: The Discovery as King <laughs> Ferdinand of Spain. Marlon Brando nominated as Tomas de Torquemada. Alan Alda in Whispers in the Dark, which I don't know, and then Danny DeVito and Robert Duvall in News. Newsies, which uh, uh oh robert duvall playing joseph pulitzer in newsies good golly oh, we, 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 we i don't that. i, I don't think, 
I don't think he's bad in that movie. I also no, think no, it's no. like a memorable performance. I just don't understand how you like remember that performance enough to be like, there's one of the worst performances of the year. <laughs> I mean, I don't. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that Marlon Brando, A, was never going to do this movie. Like there was no world where he was going to do this movie that a studio no. was going to let him. I mean, like it's just, but the studio wanted Dustin Hoffman. <laughs> because he's five, six, you know, <laughs> I don't know. So they land obviously on DeVito. Um, David Bowie was the first choice for Max Shrek. Um, that would have been good. Yeah, it would have been good. good. He turned it down to do Twin Peaks Fire Walk with me instead. Oh, fucking perfect decision. Great decision. <laughs> so, I mean, there you go. Uh, Burgess Meredith was supposed to play the uh, Penguin's father, uh, but was too ill at the time and wasn't able to do it. So That we got... feels like typecasting. Oh, for... <laughs> uh... Well, yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, the former yeah, penguin. To, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, 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 uh, yeah. Yeah, I, I was like, why does that feel like type? Oh, yeah, that makes. That a just lot of reminds sense. me also of the fact that, like, when they started, when Burton started to do these movies, the only Batman I really knew, I didn't really watch the Adam West show, but I remember I watched the movie, the Batman movie with mm-hmm. Adam West. And of course, that one, the villains are Joker, Penguin, Catwoman, and Riddler. And I thought those were the only four Batman villains. I never read comics. I didn't, you know, so I remember being like, well, if they're doing Penguin and Catwoman, I'm like, they're really kind of burning through all of them. And I remember when they announced Batman Forever and it was like Riddler and Tommy Lee Jones as Two-Face. I was like, I didn't think you could do that. Like, I just thought they had run out of villains (laughs) with the Riddler. Like, what's going on here? It was crazy. I mean, I DeVito's great, and great. he's the obvious mm-hmm. choice. It is yeah. crazy to me that there was anyone else even in the conversation, quite honestly. Yeah. And maybe it's because they felt that DeVito wasn't a big enough movie star. I don't know. But he's perfect in this. Um, we've covered the other 92 offerings that Danny DeVito gave us, which is a Hoffa, um, a movie. Oh, right. that, uh, no, No good. Very bad. Don't watch it. Um, but we covered it during the strike because it felt He directed that one, right? Yeah, he directed and he's in it too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, he's one of those guys that I mean doesn't act a ton. He produces a lot, as we know. He's yes. directed a handful of movies, Jersey films, um, Danny DeVito, Jersey films. I always think that. of the way Julia Roberts says that. that Jersey Danny films, DeVito. Danny DeVito. Like, <laughs> I, I yeah. when when this movie came out and I was so hyped to see it, and then obviously I didn't. To me, right. Danny DeVito was the biggest star in the cast. I oh, cannot sure. explain to you why. I think I'd just seen like I'd seen twins and I'd seen taxi. I was so I'd about seen, to say yeah. twins. I was I yeah. we rented twins a lot when when we were kids. We watched that movie a lot. Um for, yeah. I mean that's eighty eight. That's not that long before this, you know. Yeah. Because for and some then I reason, remember yeah, we uh we rented Thromhama from the train because it sounded mm-hmm silly Funny. and we started to watch it and it was so much darker than we were prepared for and like i think Anne ramsey oscar nominee i think either at some point my my mom was like no like watch something else like we're turning this off or we like <laughs> lost interest it was one of the two things where it's just like it's not a fun movie for like kids oh. to watch or whatever it's just sort of like yeah. at some point it just gets to be you know a movie about adults who are not happy <laughs> as a mom Mm-hmm. Throw Mama from the Train is really just a kind of movie Offensive. I don't want in my yeah. house, <laughs> out of my house. <laughs> I I mean, it is interesting because, like, he starts to get into direct. I mean, Throw Mama from the Train is his directorial debut. That's in 87. Mm-hmm. Um, in 89, he does War of the Roses, which I love. We did a, a contentious episode of 1989 on that one. I, I rode for it quite hard, and 
didn't go over well, but I think it's a great movie. Um, I think it's a very funny movie. Yeah. He does this in Hoffa 92. And then he's like Jack the Bear, a movie I've never seen. I don't, I don't know. Maybe that movie's good. I've seen that movie. Gary Sinise is, it, he's <laughs> raised his, He's raising two children, mm-hmm. and uh, they're a Jewish family. Reese Witherspoon is in it um, as, like, oh, the wow. older son's, like, crush, basically. <laughs> Gary sure. Sinise plays a Nazi in the neighborhood who then terrorizes the family. Very strange movie. Very strange movie. Sounds strange. Uh, Renaissance Man, uh, notoriously. Penny Marshall deciding to do that instead of Forrest Gump. Yeah. <laughs> Um, a choice that I imagine she probably wouldn't make again or wouldn't have made again. Uh, Junior, everyone's favorite movie about uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger being pregnant. Another film I was forbidden from seeing. (laughs) (laughs) They thought I would watch that movie, get some ideas about gender. And the reason I didn't, so uh, I was not allowed to come out until my 30s because I didn't see Junior in 1994. Have you seen Junior? Just fall. I haven't. If I saw it, I would become even more trans <laughs> junior is truly crazy you guys have seen junior chris and joe have you not seen junior. Kid. yeah not yeah Junior's not, one of those not, movies that's just lately. like terrifying it is a wonder that the gender binary continues to exist because junior existed and tore <laughs> it down <laughs> i saw junior, in the theater. junior. Yeah. i saw junior in the theater my parents took me to see it oh wow Don't know why uh two things have have literally like are burned in my brain the first is this sort of fever dream that uh uh arnold schwarzenegger has of a baby with his face that they were imposed onto the baby's face yep. which yep. is just like a fucking nightmare fuel yep. and then the end uh when he punches a man and says my body my choice <laughs> i'm so furious i am so furious that uh junior received a single academy award nomination because i, I would love to come on the program and come discuss... on the, come on the patreon we'll talk about yeah. junior we'll it was discuss a gender. yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> We'll but it. like you know obviously Danny DeVito's got some he's got some great stuff in the 90s he you know gets shorty he's great in LA Confidential he's great in The Rainmaker he's actually really good in he's a, really a great great movie. Rainmaker. I love him in that so movie. like he's just when he shows up he's can be really great and then he's done like what eight million episodes of it's always sunny in philadelphia right right yeah 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 but it is just kind of fascinating that he's kind of on the fence about doing this movie probably just because of i imagine what he expected would be a pretty arduous uh, undertaking and he wasn't wrong Mm -hmm. uh, but he's great in this movie um and then i I just to to quickly just talk keaton for a second a guy who you know obviously didn't want to do this movie um but at this point in his career he does batman pacific heights thriller where he's trying to break into a young couple's house right Uh, melanie griffith san francisco is it melanie griffith i think it's it melanie is melanie griffith, griffith. and matthew, uh, modine. And matthew modine yes uh logical thriller uh one good cop a movie i've never seen or heard well, that's of. a misleading title <laughs> <laughs> actually it's not there's only one oh, so okay. it works All out right. this is about the single good cop <laughs> the one good cop yeah <laughs> Um, and it's the lady this. from uh, from uh, Onward or whatever the hell. It's the uh, it's, it's one the of the dogs from Paw Patrol. The lesbian cop from Onward. <laughs> it's it's Chase from Paw Patrol. That's true. That's yeah. That's my nephew's favorite Paw Patrol. So yeah, we'll let him. Have so it. he does this movie. He gets paid eleven million dollars to do it. Uh, then he does much much ado about nothing. He's in that with like everyone and their mother. Just the hottest cast that's ever been. One of the hottest movies ever made. <laughs> he is it's chewing just... some scenery in that movie yeah. too. Like he is just yeah having a ball. 
it seems like he's gunning for an Oscar with My Life. Remember My Life? Mm-hmm. I do remember My Life. Even that trailer was just like, we're going to make you cry. Like, that <laughs> thing was just really... He's dying and he's making a video for his yep. kid. Yep. Um, I love him in the paper. Paper, under... Great, Great movie. movie. Great movie. You know, speechless multiplicity. He's obviously he comes back to Jackie Brown and out of sight. You know, I mean, like Michael Keaton's great. Gets kind of obviously he's been just sort of he was given a big kind of uh, newfound life to his career. Birdman, Spotlight, right. you know, Spider Man, what have you. He's chewing the scenery in Dumbo with a with a hairpiece that's from the heavens. I don't know <laughs> what that hairpiece is, but it's crazy. I'm still mad they decided to put everybody from Spotlight into supporting that year because he yeah. absolutely could and should have gotten the best actor nomination for that movie. Mm-hmm. I totally agree. And I I also think he should have won over fucking um Look, I what's well, you and Chris can can complain about Eddie Redmayne together. Yeah, Chris fuck it. Uh, I know. Chris is an enemy. I hate Birdman with a with a passion. I, I don't like absolutely. Birdman. He should have won over Eddie Redmayne. That Eddie Redmayne <laughs> yes. performance is so bad, so bad. It's Every also just like who liked that performance. I, that that kind of I know it's slightly different, but I'm going to just compare it anyway. The 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 Keaton and Eddie Redmayne felt very much like. Uh, the Sean Penn Mickey Rourke situation. I was going to say yes, yes, mm-hmm. yes. Where yep. everyone was just sort of like, "You should give it to Mickey Rourke. He's better in this movie, and like he's back, and it's great that he's back." And they should have given it to Keaton as well. Like it's just Eddie Redmayne's performance is just ridiculous. Listen, there's still time to to get it for. Wait, did Knox Goes Away get get an actual release this year? Or is it was just a festival? No, it's now? coming out next year. From I don't even think. Like, <laughs> is it another Catch Up Studios movie or whatever the hell it is? It. It's like sub. Vertical what is Knox Goes Away? What is this movie? It's, I'm looking at it right now. Directed? Debut? Yeah. Yes. No, it's not a debut. It's He's not directed a debut. other movies. Okay. Um, or at least one other movie. Uh, it got absolutely no reception at TIFF this year. Um, yeah, it got 48% on Rotten Tomatoes from I 27 mean, yeah. critics. So, Phil, do you even need to ask? Remember Knox? This is the movie where he's going away. He's going away. Yeah, he went away. <laughs> it's the final. Yeah. It's the final Knox movie of the Knox yeah. uh, series. Yeah, the Knox cycle. Knox is it, is it part of the like Ben comes back? Yeah. Series? Yes. Yeah. It's Ben is back. Knox is away. No. Yeah. 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 It's it's Knox goes to camp. Knox saves Christmas. Knox scared stupid. Knox goes to jail. Yeah. <laughs> Knox two back in the habit. Yeah. Oh God, would watch. By the way, um, I just yeah, like I, mean, lo- I just reminded myself who was nominated for best actor that year, and like he- Keaton is my pick out of all the nominees. That was such a bad year. I was. like the only other one I really think about is like I could I could have gone with Brad Bradley Cooper in another movie I don't like very much, but I think he's good in American Sniper. Oh, it's him. It's right. Carell for Foxcatcher, and then who's Oof. the fifth? It's Benedict Cumberbatch for Imitation oh, Game. Imitation Game. God, that year sucks, man. I mean, that year's also like I I hate that it that Birdman versus Boyhood became the narrative because yeah. first of all, I think Boyhood is an infinitely better movie than Birdman is. But then, like, also mixed into that, you've got Grand Budapest that kind of gets. I was gonna say Grand Budapest gets eight bajillion nominations and yeah. none for Rafe Fiennes, who <laughs> was better than anybody who was All actually nominated yeah. for Best Actor that year. Bonkers! Like, Bonkers! The fuck. It's crazy. Um, yeah. So to kind of just jump through this plot of Batman Returns, a movie that we all kind of know, there's some stuff, obviously, that, you know, watching it this time jumped out at me. Um, I love the Paul Rubens cameo up top. I love that the baby's bassinet that you were talking about, Chris, is, like, 
literally sealed shut with a giant fucking belt. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like, this penguin baby is not getting out of this fucking <laughs> Also, I'm wondering, like, Diane Salinger plays his mother, Diane Salinger, from... Um, also, PB's Big, Big Adventure, and I, of course, remember her from HBO's Carnival, where she played Clea Duvall's fortune-telling catatonic mother. Um, Underrated show. Great show. One would imagine she would have had some explaining to do <laughs> when all of a sudden the baby comes, and the baby is a penguin baby. And I'm not going to judge anybody for anything ever, but like... Yeah. Listen, how do you think that zoo got shut down? <laughs> That was the scandal that the mayor barely survived. Uh, no wonder he was so vulnerable for uh, yeah. uh, come re-election all those years later. Yeah. I mean, this movie really also just, you know, not to not to go down too much of a, a rabbit hole on, on the production of it, but like a staggeringly beautifully made movie. There are no exteriors, entire film. This entire film is shot on sound stages, which is something yeah. that we don't do anymore. Um it's probably why the movie feels a little bit hermetically sealed and a little bit small and kind of snow globey, but that's it does. sort of the point. The like yeah. town square set in Gotham outside yeah. of uh, Shrek's Shrek. where yeah. they're doing all of these outdoor press conferences <laughs> for a group of tens of people. Mm -hmm. It feels so, sm uh, you know, uh, they're doing what they can on the soundstage and it's all beautiful, but it, when you look at it in that scale, it feels very small. This being a Christmas movie, though, there is some degree to which I'm like, maybe I can get down with the idea of Gotham as like a small town in like a Gremlins kind of a way. Where like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Where it's just like sure. the, there's the town square and and maybe sometimes it's easy for a, for a crackpot like uh, Oswald Cobblepot to, to get elected mayor in a small Become town mayor? like that. Yeah, like, sure. um. Although God, it's a weird thing watching that whole storyline in a post-Trump uh, well, mindset. A it's... <laughs> How <laughs> could I, they possibly I... have run a genuine monster half penguin man and then win election? <laughs> uh... A horny groping, yeah, <laughs> constantly <laughs> drooling. I Trump say... could bite off a reporter's nose in the middle of Times Square, <laughs> and they'd still vote for him. Like if, like if Trump came out tomorrow and ate a raw fish on stage. <laughs> Wouldn't I wouldn't vote the for him, one but bit. I would be like, I'm giving you a point, sir. Good for you. <laughs> you get one point. You yeah. get one I, Emily point. Yeah. I do think, Trump though, it is interesting. Trump does not have the fashion sense of Penguin's giant winter coat, though. <laughs> <laughs> that coat is fabulous. The top hat, the giant... The, like, the top exactly. hat. Bring them back, guys. Bring when the did, top hat back. Men, yeah. what's stopping you from looking like this? And it's just a picture exactly. of Penguin with the top hat. Like, that's... That's what I'm asking. But I, I do think it's interesting to see the progression away from these sound stages. Now, I know that obviously Chris Nolan is Chris Nolan, and he's always going to go location. He's Scope and David Lean and all that kind of stuff. And I've absolutely no problem with that. It's one of the things that I love about his versions of them. But I do think that one of the reasons that I love this film is because it feels like a movie movie in a different mm. way. It just, mm -hmm. you know what I mean? It, you can see the German expressionism. You can see the just all the builds, all the like... I mean, Selena's apartment with these like fucking ridge beams going through her kitchen and like this kind of like rusted, dilapidated kind mm -hmm. of weird post-industrial thing that's going on. Yeah. Um, I mean, that's, the first. Yeah, so that was one of the things I did like about the 2022 film is it is a lot of it's digitally enhanced, but you did kind of get back to that feel after the 
you know, where Snyder's films are very obviously mostly digital sets. And then Nolan is really trying to use real locations that had that feeling of like, I like my comic book movies to feel like they're like in a comic book. Obviously, I, I famously love Dick Tracy, which is like my yeah, Batman Returns. Movie. It's the best. But uh, but yeah, like I honestly don't mind that this movie feels a little small. It does feel a little bit like it takes place in like one of those Christmas villages that you can buy yes. at like a fucking mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> Michael's or something. Yep. So, yeah. Yeah, I, I think it's just it's a choice. The first movie, you know, shot in London. Warner Brothers notoriously spent a boatload of money to hold onto those sets, and then Burton's like, "Actually, I want to shoot it in Burbank." And they were like, <laughs> "Cool, thanks for." You know, again, this was a movie that because they had a lot of live penguins, they had to freeze these sets, so these sets were very, very cold. They were deeply refrigerated um, in order to, you know, so it, it's it, it's just a ridiculous thing that he put Warner Brothers through in terms yeah. of. The, you know, there's a lot of fake snow, but there's a lot of, you know, it, it's just, it's a pretty meticulously, strangely orchestrated thing. I respect it. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, like, more power to him, man. Like, do your thing. Yeah. They just, he just made, like, you know, the sad song of Warner Brothers. Like, they just made so much Ugh. money off of that first Batman. Like, you know what I mean? Like, he made them so much money. So much money. He basically well, and it's also, owned that think, entire year. Totally. You... The merchandising angle, especially of the first Batman Mm -hmm. and the cultural impact that that had really cannot be underestimated. And especially for the appeal towards kids uh, and the (laughs) the tenor of reactions to this movie. That was one thing that I was struck on this rewatch is, you know, as annoying all of those talk show kids who go on rallying against how this movie hate kids unfortunately those losers may have a point um (laughs) because that that i I almost feel like one of the most like the most uh obvious things that tim burton is in a fuck you phase of his career is setting this movie at christmas because you show up for a summer Batman movie and immediately it announces itself with snow, which feels like this immediate fuck you to the audience and this denial of what they are expecting from it. Selena Kyle is not just destroying like this pink feminine view of her apartment, but like she's not destroying Barbies. She's destroying stuffed animals. She's, breaking toys she's breaking a dollhouse in this movie yeah it feels you know like tim burton hating the toyification of batman oh, or his movies you know i mean the yeah, fact every that... sequence in this movie has like 16 different toys that you can like imagine purchasing at a kmart I and i had know. those toys i had the batman super nintendo video game that's oh. basically just you know yeah, but even just the opening literally you are attacked by a giant present inside a present yes. right. is yeah. a gang of thugs that circus escape. Thugs. <laughs> yeah i mean truly this movie is just thumbing its nose at you and just being like you know i uh i think i have the solution to this oh, which yeah. is this movie and home alone 2 should have swapped release dates and they should have, we haven't our mm-hmm. home alone 2 episode is not yet released coming out next but week, in yeah. 
that episode, I proposed mm-hmm. that Home Alone 2 should have been set at summer camp or on summer vacation instead of being <laughs> I, a Christmas film. You. And I, so you put that out in June. Macaulay Culkin would have been had to like work his ass off to make that release date, but I yeah. feel like he could have done it. Just so Macaulay, that's, though, not Chris Columbus. That's what you, yeah, Chris Columbus, he's fine. Whatever. I've always we said that you, Home Alone 2 should have been a Thanksgiving movie because the whole sure. thing about New York City is that like there's a giant fucking parade on thanksgiving that mm-hmm. like you could have had like but summer's good too i think it I'll... should be also a friday the 13th movie so it's like kevin <laughs> versus jason kevin puts on a hockey mask oh, right. starts killing a bunch of people right i this this whole opening portion where like selena gets sort of um held hostage for a brief right. moment by a clown right um I love the moment with the taser where you see that little twistedness inside her, which mm-hmm. obviously, you know, comes out more as the movie progresses. Um, I, you know, the, the, the penguins also kind of slow played in terms of like, we see his hands on the bars. We see his shadows in the suit. Like we're really kind of building up this reveal of this disgusting creature, like on some level, had they also not built it up. So but like the first 10 minutes of this movie is all build up to his reveal. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then the reveal is him going like, hi. <laughs> it's, just... <laughs> it's so strange. And with like, this guy has a really well-developed sense of how to um like appeal to people with hokum like the yes. whole like he's really kind of honed almost like a passive aggressive like i guess i'll look for my parents i don't know why they would have just thrown me away like this like yeah. Yeah. it's just like it's it's it's, it's, it's very eeyore like it's got very a very eeyore-like. kind of yeah which is which is great um i mean i i love the the scene with um selena going back she walks into her apartment she does the whole like honey i'm home oh i forgot i'm not married and then she Mm -hmm. does it like a zombie later when she comes back after she's been killed but the scene at uh at the office with this gothic lighting from below Mm -hmm. with all these lamps and her glasses looking like the cat mask that's that's coming with the shadows Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um is just tremendous it's just really there's actually and i didn't notice it until the millionth rewatch but on her lamp is a post-it note that just says obey in big block letters. Oh, I didn't notice that. That's amazing. <laughs> so like, there's just a lot of stuff baked into a very small scene between her and Chris Walken before he yeah. kills her. Um, a scene which starts where she's already come across this like incriminating information. Like that's what I love about this movie is just like, we don't really need to spend like any other movie would have like shown the scene where she's like going through the files and gets wide eyed at this like plot or whatever. It's just like, I'm like, I'm just like fast forward past that part or whatever, like shove her out the window. And then like, what we'll spend time on is the makeover montage. But like, we will like that one's going to hit. I love any movie where a superhero or a supervillain in this case, you see them go through the actual like process of designing their look where she's, you know, uh, finding she the finds leather her, coat. her raincoat her leather yeah. raincoat yeah yeah I, I mean there's a creepy moment before he pushes her out the window where he like looks like he's gonna kiss her like mm-hmm. he leans in for a kiss mm-hmm. yeah and then goes uh uh and she, and then he pushes her out. it's a very weird beat he's so good like he's great what a fucking creep it's great emily yes, do you have chris dorothy's Chris walken feelings um and i i like i like 
It's this thing where I like him in the movie and I like Max Shrek as a character. And yet I kind of feel like his dramatic function just isn't like he's in a different movie. And I'm not sure that, you know, that entirely works. But like, I love Chris Walken so much. I kind of like. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact. You can get short term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. The performance of his that this seems most similar to me is the Weapon of Choice music video, and I can't explain why. It just feels like Max Shrek might start flying around and dancing. So it feels like the cliche Christopher Walken performance, or like what we would think of Christopher yes. a Christopher Walken performance would be like in the aughts happened all the way back in 1992 and then you know took a while to cook or something to become you know the it also feels like i totally agree and it also feels very um burton looking for his vincent price-esque or martin landau Mm -hmm. looking for his older sort of experienced elder statesman that slots into his weird little world and obviously you know, Chris Walken comes back again, uh, has no lines as the uh, as the headless horseman, but uh, does come back as him, uh, you know, uh, with Burton later. Um, I, I the, the whole idea of Catwoman's uh, costume falling apart as her sanity starts to slip as well mm. is something that I love. The the her claws, which leaving are leaving a trail of, of claws across all the, across the thimbles yeah, yeah, yeah. from like that are a constant reminder of that this is all kind of sewn together and it's all yes. dangling by a thread. Well, even the costume, great. it's like you see just like the slashes of staples, like sort of like going over. It's like this is this is not sleek. This is very uh, um, you know DIY. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I, I'm a fan of a microfiche scene. Always, always love someone. Yes, absolutely, always, always is good. Like yep. it's never bad um alfred saying this is one of my favorite lines in the movie must you be the only lonely man beast in town <laughs> <laughs> alfred was getting lippy in this one and i and i was really enjoying it alfred's alfred so, yeah. so good in this movie so good it's just it's tremendous um you know it is interesting too that like you mentioned emily and i agree with you that burton has base interest in the action scenes you can tell that he's literally shooting an action sequence with like six different cameras because you'll see things fall like six different times because he only wants to do it once and he doesn't want to have to really cover do much coverage. Um, he, he's just not interested in this stuff. That being said, the first Catwoman fight where she stops that mugger mm-hmm. um, from uh, with that girl, 
is great because it's it's short it's sweet and you can tell that he's actually like interested in seeing catwoman fight yes i just don't know that he's interested in seeing batman fight if that makes sense the, the it's it's a it's a ranked list of like most interested catwoman then batman then like not at all in penguin at all like penguin doesn't even like get to even pretend to fight it's just like he'll open an umbrella yeah. every once in a while and like that's yeah. about it I feel like Penguin should like get to slide around and knock people over like a real yeah. Penguin does. Yeah. That should be a thing he gets to do. He, he should have gotten a vehicle. I but mean, he, he does because Burton the, loves the giant duck. The giant rubber yeah. ducky. Oh, right. that is, he does have that vehicle. Yeah. He does have the giant duck, which he off-roads. <laughs> mostly like, an elevator. I really, I prefer this film to the 89 Batman substantially, but one area in which it falls down is it doesn't have a Prince song about the penguin, which is that, you know, it's funny you bring that up, Emily, because this time I did feel it a little bit because I love the, the uh, Susie and the Banshee song that they get that plays during the Masquerade Mm -hmm. Ball, which is a great song. And I watched the music video for the first time, which is so beautifully early nineties. God bless it. Um, But I do agree with you, Emily, that, like, it's clear that Burton didn't want Prince necessarily. Like, I don't think he wanted that punctuation, but it really does pull you through that movie. Like, Mm -hmm. the Prince songs really do help that movie. Well, if Bowie wasn't going to play Max Shrek, he should have done some songs. I I totally agree. I don't know if Prince is the right vibe for this movie. I totally think Bowie could have been like, and then the penguin came to town (laughs) and he had a little cape. I am absolutely all for your Bowie impression singing about the little penguin boy. Oh, listen, when we get to Twin Peaks, I'm giving you my David Lynch. That's that's my best. Uh, cannot wait. Um, I, You guys mentioned the scene when uh, Max um, lures the penguin downstairs with a raw fish to his, uh, yes. uh, to his mayoral to his campaign team. Yeah. And then... We obviously have the, you know, the, the, uh, it could be worse. My nose could be gushing blood. And then he bites a man's nose and, and has blood all over him. And he's eating a raw also fish. Also a moment that terrified me as a child. Yeah, same, <laughs> same. Yeah. And he desperately wants to have sex with Jen Hooks. <laughs> Just, <laughs> who among us? Yeah. It's yeah. all a lot. And then this scene ends with Max saying he will have unlimited poontang. <laughs> I wrote that down. I was like, well, I've seen a movie where Chris Walken says unlimited boondang. So at the very least, it's bonkers. (laughs) You know, uh, uh, do you remember when like desktop computers would let you like put your own like sound like yeah. you'd make, make a make a certain thing your 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 oh when it starts up or like you yep. click a button something. Sure. Yep. I just I unlimited poon tank feels like it yep. was made for that. <laughs> yep. Like it was made for like you open a file and Chris Walken says unlimited poon tank. It's the Batman answer to electric boogaloo. It should have been Batman <laughs> to unlimited poon tank. That does also answer Ugh. the question of whether I did ever see this in the theater, which is going to be no because if our if my mom ever took us to see Batman Returns. Uh, if Unlimited Poontang didn't send her dragging us out of the theater, uh, Danny DeVito saying just the pussy I'm looking for would have absolutely sealed the deal. <laughs> she would have never made it to the end of that movie. Uh, or when, when doesn't he, she says something like, oh, I can't remember where the line is, but he's like scented or unscented. Like he's got like lubrication. Oh, and... yes. Um, oh, the hell. What is I can't remember I can't now. Remember the line now. But that whole scene... She I means mean, the, ointment for her napalm arm. Yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. Ointment, yeah. scented or unscented. <laughs> uh, yeah, it, it's it's a lot. Um, 
we then have sort of the Bruce and Selena dating stuff, which I really love that scene in front of the fire, you know, where she has the whole, it's the so-called normal guys that always let you down. Sickos don't scare me. At least they're committed. Mm-hmm. Um, and that they have just a really great banter. And again, this comes back to sort of the Selena Bruce stuff feels very noirish to me. Like that's when it feels <laughs> like the movie is really leaning into that old sort of like thirties. It, it And, and very much so in, arguably one of my favorite scenes in the movie, which is the reveal on the dance floor has such a noir kind of moment of realization Mm -hmm. and the strings and like, there's just, and, and even their confrontation or what have you at the end where he's kind of begging her to run away with him. Mm -hmm. Like all that stuff feels very much like lifted out of a thirties movie. It's, it's great stuff. I love all that. As we talk about this, I think my, my issue is I like the Batman and Penguin movie. I like the Batman and Catwoman movie. I'm not sure they're the same movie, you know? (laughs) And like, then there's Max Shrek and you're like, okay. And he's supposed to be what ties it all together, but he does so through a very, and like, I I love the script for this movie on the level of like, it has a lot of provocative ideas and like, it's very interested in pushing the envelope of what a blockbuster should be, but just like, it is trying to do so many things. And Tim Burton is very clearly interested in some things more than others. And I agree with that while at the same time thinking the scene where Penguin and Catwoman first really meet up and Mm -hmm. the scene where he just says the the scented or unscented where she eats the bird and and she starts cleaning herself herself, um, is maybe my favorite scene in the whole movie. I love a villains get together because they have a common enemy and we have to like, you know, figure it (laughs) out. But also just like... the way that like he i don't know the way they play off of each other and the way that she's clearly like you know stringing him along while also being like slightly oblivious to just how gross he is because like she's more concerned with setting up her own operation and how they can get batman and whatever and that's the point in the movie where I'm just like, I can just watch these two. I could just watch the Penguin and Catwoman hour. Sure, of, but you know. that scene, I love that scene so much because it feels like it harkens back to the 60s Batman movie yes. where it's like half of that thing is just the villains sitting in a room talking about how much they yeah. hate Batman. Like, totally. Yes, the whole movie of that. I also, to your point, to both of your points, the scene where after um, uh, the Ice Princess dies and it's all pinned on batman and they're standing up up sort of up on the roof or whatever and he's saying you know you come into my room twitching your little tail and he's got a ring for her and it's like ready to consummate their relationship and she's like i wouldn't touch you to scratch you and he's like you yeah. let me on and the look on lousy makes i should have had your spade yeah you sent out all the signals <laughs> yeah you sent out all the signals and yeah. she the look on her face is so great because it's so classically like a woman being like what the fuck are you talking about? Like, right, right, I, right. I, like, what, it, it's such a great... And then, of course, he uh, kills her. Yes. The 25th anniversary of the film was 2017. I am genuinely surprised there weren't 10 dozen yeah. think pieces about yeah. the ways in which Catwoman and Penguin's relationship resembles white women's relationship to Trump. Like, <laughs> I <laughs> should have written that. I could How did you I not write gotten, that? I would have gotten so many clicks. Like so oh, many people wow. would have been like, click, click, yeah. click, click, click. I would have won. I never would have gotten fired. <laughs> <laughs> that would have done it. Yeah. It would have done it. I mean, I, I do it. think that um, the mistletoe thing is a wonderful j- sort of conjoiner in terms mm-hmm. of it's a great line and it's a great 
line to then be the reveal later in the film the whole like mistletoe can be deadly if you eat it but a kiss can be in deadlier if you mean it uh is just i don't know all, all that stuff to your point emily i think that stuff works really well it all kind of feels slightly disjointed i don't think that it's as disjointed for, for me as it is for you but i can see how it feels like different camps of movies i think if of... i liked burton yeah, and i sure. like i think if i liked him more and like to be clear i like some of his stuff a mm-hmm. fair bit sure. uh but uh, yeah i think if i liked him more if i was on his wavelength this movie would be like like the like, i fucking love looking at this movie sure um in terms of like christmas vibe i think it you know which is the thing i care about deeply i think it's, i know i think it's one of the best but like uh here pure for instance i don't really like nightmare before christmas either and like that feels like a movie i should love i I like it less than it seems like i should like every every year not not every year but every time i watch it i'm like this is the point where i'm going to become a nightmare before christmas person because i feel like i want to be and it just doesn't and then i like fine i'll just go watch the family stone again like that's fine yeah yeah it's good. It's a good. It's a good movie that suggests a great one. And I wish that I saw the great one that a lot of people get from. I think mm-hmm. this is just like I'm just not a person who read read comic books growing up. And I'm like I didn't either. And like that's like not. I'm not saying that's the reason I don't like these, but it is like a thing where I think there are some people who take from a certain visual level of visual yeah. iconography mm-hmm. and like extrapolate that out into like imagining an entire world. And like for them, Burton is perfect. And mm-hmm. I just, I just, I'm not that person. I rarely am. It's I I absolutely hear you. I really do. And 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 every time I watch this film, I think to myself, it's a miracle that this got made because I can't imagine there's that many people that this appeals to. Now listen, there's three three and a half people on this and by that i mean emily you seem halfway into liking this movie but i just you know what i mean like it is oh, i'm it's giving just, it an 85 you're gonna oh, great, be great. shocked <laughs> i can't wait um i <clears throat> i there are two lines at the masquerade ball that i love max saying i am the light of the city and i am its mean twisted soul is yeah. just <laughs> insane and then bruce saying so no hard feelings and selena saying semi-hard i'd say <laughs> yeah can I also so fucking horny. Can I also mention a thing I noticed for the first time in that masquerade ball scene is when I think it's when Selena is entering the ballroom. She's just coming down the stairs, right? There is somebody dressed up like what the Phantom of the Opera is dressed as in the masquerade number in Phantom of the Opera. And it's for like half a second. I'm like, wait a second. Is Tim Burton this time around going to do a full masquerade uh, Andrew Lloyd (laughs) Webber production number before we get on with the rest of this movie? Uh, I would have welcomed it. It's, I, I just, for a second, this scene of the reveal, we have seen at this point in cinema so many identity reveals in Mm -hmm. comic book movies like innumerable and this still is my favorite because it feels like it has actual character power to it as opposed Mm -hmm. to just sort of the surprise of a person surprised that a person is a fucking superhero Mm -hmm. this is two people that perhaps might have feelings for each other outside of their extracurricular activities and it and it just her she they're both selling it so hard mm-hmm. that i just it really just really works for me Definitely. i think for for me i think that's um when uh kirsten dunst figures out 
Tobey Maguire's Spider-Man in uh Spider-Man the end of 2. the first Spider-Man mm-hmm. I think is that the end of the first or like well, this that... is the question that I've often wondered which is she kisses him at the end and we're left with a look on her face like she's put it together but then it's, she hasn't put it together it's incontrovertible in two I feel yeah. like in one it's mm-hmm. like that thing where you're like I know something about my partner but I'm yes. not going to like think too hard about it and like I think the reason I love those movies is that relationship. And like uh so yeah, for me, I don't know. I I think but That's yeah, fair. it is it is very weird how many of these movies we've seen and how rarely yeah. like the reveal affects anything outside anything. of the world knowing who they are. And they're all chasing uh Tony Stark saying, Yeah, I'm Iron Man at the end of Iron Man, which is a great moment, but like, yeah. Yeah. Can't do that again. I mean that, that scene is also thing though. I mean, is to be sort of on front street about it, but yeah. That scene is also not entirely dissimilar to the uh, 30 Rock where Liz goes on the date with the guy and then finds out that they're third cousins or whatever. And <laughs> and and the realization sort of dawns on the both of them at the exact same time. She sees the photo of her great aunt and he's like, no, that's my grandmother. And I'm like, oh, okay. Yeah. Um, yes, sure. I agree with that. Um, Thank you. I, I, Max uh, in a giant birdcage over a pool of toxic waste is just a great <laughs> image. <laughs> that i that i love um that's a deeply tim burton image too um i i texted this to you emily when i was re-watching it and i stand by it being a absurd line in penguin's speech to his army of penguins Mm -hmm. thanks to batman the time has come to punish all god's children first second third and fourth born why be biased male and female hell the sexes are equal when their erogenous zones are blown sky high um you sent that to me and i saw the preview on my apple watch i was like what the fuck is phil doing (laughs) (laughs) i was making my baby dinner i was like what (laughs) what is what's going on (laughs) (laughs) well yeah sans context my apologies emily i didn't mean to uh, i that's uh, then and my baby was like well it's He's quoting it's Batman Returns. One more Come for on. the HR yeah. file, and there we go. <laughs> it's just, it is such a bizarre speech. As I mentioned earlier, two hundreds of penguins that don't know what the fuck he's talking about. Um, and he's, it, it's just, there's something so, because like, there are many, many evil villain speeches in the annals of comic book movies that all feel kind of, you know, preachy and whatever this is just like what is he what's his goal just literally just death and destruction at this point like it's just doesn't care i'm imagining the person Mm -hmm. who saw this movie and saw that speech and was like how do i get to do that like dedicates themselves to marine biology goes to school (laughs) like goes through the years and years gets a job at an aquarium works their way up the ladder of that aquarium, become the chief penguin caretaker. First day, they deliver that speech, and they're like, I think that was worth it. It It starts with getting one penguin to listen to you, and then it's just like you build from there. You just start small, and yeah. You need to get the penguins to unionize so that they can tell their other penguin friends, uh, you know, to show up to the speech. I'm I'm also just imagining, you know, I, I... being on the Warner Brothers lot in a refrigerated set <laughs> when like 400 penguins are just let loose with little metal helmets and missiles on their back. <laughs> and you're just like, action. <laughs> like, it's just absurd. 
but it's fantastic. I'm all about it. I I, um, do, I I think I almost love imagining Warner Brothers executives watching the dailies from this film <laughs> more than I love watching it itself. Like yeah. they clearly made so much money off of the first movie that all those executives watching those dailies just didn't care. They you were know? just like, "You can do whatever. You are a printing press to us." Yeah. yeah. We got toys. We got Happy Meals. Yeah. We're good. Yeah. And then, you know, it all it all went very, very different. Um, I do love the fight with Penguin and Batman when he says, uh, you're just jealous. I'm a genuine freak and uh, you have to wear a mask. And Batman says, you might be right. Like, there's just something so... <laughs> Batman's so disengaged that entire fight. Like, he barely, mm-hmm. like... Yeah. Yeah. The thing where he like grabs the whatever the the uh, detonator out of yeah, his hand or whatever, and it's just like, mm-hmm. and then like just sort of stands around with it for a little bit, and it's just like Batman, let's just like do something. Jesus Christ, he's very inactive in this he's movie, very and inactive. it's only when he's forced to be active yes. that he's active. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I I do love, as I mentioned earlier, the the sort of final conversation between uh, Bruce and Selena, and him being like, "Don't you see we're the same." You know, uh, and she says, I, I wish I could run away with you and live in your castle forever, but I just couldn't live with myself. So don't pretend this is a happy ending. Like, yeah. this movie just dangles the possibility of a happy ending in front of you and then says, nah. <laughs> she gonna... sticks to her principles. Like, it's mm-hmm. it's it's yes. when she saves the, the woman earlier in the movie and she's just like, you know, essentially like, stop making yourself such yeah. an easy victim or whatever. It's just like, she has a very specific code of ethics all of a sudden that the cats gave her when they resurrected her and now she's she's sticking to it yeah i mean i also kind of love that we have sort of this moment with her and max where he shoots her like i guess we're led to believe it's a six shooter so he's got five bullets left and he shoots her five times classic movie logic all guns only have six bullets like that's right and and she's only got she basically is like uh i have two lives left i think i'll save one for next christmas um how about a kiss Santa Claus. Santa Claus. Yeah. With the uh with the with the taser. Um I I it's interesting that the original cut of this movie, she's dead. She's gone. Yeah. They think she, you know, whatever. Um, they spend a quarter of a million dollars for that last shot. Make that last shot of her pop up at the very end because of test screenings, they were like, I want with we want more catwoman. Just cut out something out of black construction paper and just sort of like push it in front of the camera. <laughs> worth every like... damn penny, though. <laughs> it is worth, worth it entirely. One of the most iconic endings. Yeah. It's incredible. It's not Michelle Pfeiffer. It's just some person that <laughs> just decided to pop up. Sean Young was still gets... on the, the lot. <laughs> they let her stand there. But it is just interesting how, like, you know, they have the one life left. I think you were still going to see the shadow in the alleyway. So like, I think they were still, there's still kind of an ellipse there of like, yeah. she's still alive or whatever, but they, they wanted that last shot and they got it. But um, it allows the last spoken line in the movie to be one of the most insane things I've ever heard, which is Bruce Wayne going uh, <laughs> peace on earth and goodwill toward men looks and- at a thing, thinks about it for a second and women like it <laughs> looks, looks at a black cat in his arm. And that's says... right it was the black cat that's right um and then like it's just like are you waiting for applause like what's going on like bruce like jesus christ man like yeah and women. batman's no so fucking woke in this movie and he, he, he like, needs to be is. taken down yeah. a peg. what's with this woke batman woke mind batman. listen uh let's rate this movie um all right i will go first 
in 92, I probably would have given this film like a 72. I liked it mm -hmm. fine. I didn't really jive with it. I then watched it 8 million times um, over the course of the, you know, years that have gone since. Um, I'm giving this film a 97. Uh, I, I don't, I have very few notes about this movie. I love this movie, warts and all. Um, it is, it is imperfect, but it is perfect to me. Um, so that's where I am at. Uh, Chris, where are you? I am willing to chalk up this movie's flaws to Batman Returns just being a vibes movie, and sure. I'm going to give it a 90. Great. Sounds great. Uh, what about you, Joe? Yeah, I think I'm I'm on a, a similar wavelength. I think even the, and again, we've, we've uh, pointed out quite a few things about this movie that are odd or strange or low energy in terms of Michael Keaton, and yet almost <laughs> all of it I think works for me doesn't even I don't I don't even feel like I'm looking past it. I feel like a lot of the stuff that's weird about this movie just ends up working for me. I sure. like DeVito and the Penguin so much more than I even thought I did before I watched it again this time. Sure. So, I think I'm up to like a 92. Great. Here it is, Emily. It's your moment of truth. I was I was I was just thought of a thing I love, which is the first you time you see Michael Keaton, he's just staring like this. He's just sitting, the in the Wait, sitting in the dark. Have none of us mentioned him scratching the CD of, uh, of, of which is not a thing. Dito, which is not a thing you can do. Yeah, uh, that is the that is the Christmas vibe of this movie. Is him sitting alone in a dark room, and then a bright light goes up outside, and he's like, ah, oh, like that. And then it's his. It's, 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 it's literally to your point, Emily, sitting like this, pensive uh -huh. in a dark room by himself. Like, and then the Batman logo comes in. And also, I wonder I mean, if he'll call, but he is Commissioner Gordon. Like, yeah. <laughs> and like Michael Keaton's actual Christmas movie, Jack Frost, doesn't have anything oh, that, no. that brilliantly Christmassy. Uh, yeah, I mean, I love. I actually think I have a very different journey with this film, which is I pretty much have like the first time I saw it on broadcast television in 1995, I was like, I think that's actually really interesting and doing cool <laughs> things. And it's good. Sure. Like, my teenage shelf was, like, locked into it. Uh -huh. And then I just, like, never evolved past that point. I just have been like, yeah, that's, I think this is a really interesting movie that's doing some good things. So I came, I came in at an 85. And for you, Phil, I'm going to go all the way up to an 86. There and then go. I realized that Batman <laughs> had the woke mind virus, and now I'm giving it a zero. So. Zero. No. Um, uh, the queer, I, on the queer, the queer phobia oh, scale, yeah, yeah. Um, Where's this it's on that? really fucking hard to say. <laughs> because this movie like has, has shifted like this is one of those movies it's kind of like basic instinct where at the time i think people were like this is kind of gay isn't that funny and now we're like this is kind of gay that fucking rules that rules so like uh yeah. yeah i'm gonna give it like a like a like a four i think that like uh out of 10 and i think that like there is some stuff in here that does feel like it's a little bit mean to the queers but also like it feels like tim burton doesn't quite know that <laughs> <laughs> and like obviously the script is like so it's like it's like 16 different but yeah there is there is a little bit of of this movie where you're kind of like is this making fun of me but i don't think it is the one most it's... explicitly queer coded character does get his nose bitten off so that yeah. is that uh, is true yeah yeah it's, yeah yeah um i i would also be remiss if i didn't talk about the premiere of this movie for a quick second because i've seen the, the 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 stills of the red carpet for this film and the sort of the big premiere that they had with this giant like weird 
thing. I think it was Grauman's, if I'm not mistaken. I think, it, or maybe it was in Westwood, one or the other. Uh, at that point, Michael Keaton is dating Courtney Cox, so she to uh, to the premiere of, uh, of Batman Returns. Yeah. Uh, Michelle Pfeiffer is dating Fisher Stevens with a neck beard <laughs> that is just completely insane. Wow! And I'm just like, how did Fisher Stevens? Michelle, anyway, I. It, Fisher Stevens has gumped his way through Hollywood all of these decades. It's really something else. Oscar winner, like integral part of the final season of Succession. Like all of these, like every once in a while, it's just like it's Fisher Stevens. It's time to shine. I I recently like did a book on Lost, and you watch that show and you forget Fisher Stevens has this like. (laughs) Pivotal, yep. tiny, pivotal part in season four, in like one of the great TV episodes of all time. You're like, yep, there's Fisher Stevens. There he is. He's <laughs> always been there. I feel it's, who, it's was, who was uh, Pat Hingle's date to the premiere? That's a very good question. I, I, I'm not sure. I didn't. I didn't see that. But I, I mean, the Fisher Stevens thing is fascinating. And just did that docu series on uh, Beckham. He just directed that. Right? Isn't he an Oscar winner? He yeah. is an Oscar winner. Yes. Yeah. He has, a sh- he has a what is it for? No, it's for a documentary live action though, right? short or something. Oh, I thought for it was a documentary, documentary short. Oh, maybe I don't know. Oh, yes, he is an Oscar winner. He was dating he, Michelle he, Pfeiffer he, at he her one for documentary <laughs> feature feature, right? Yeah, yeah. Was it for the Cove? Am I right about the Cove? That? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yep. God bless him. I mean, just just a eh, what a time. And, and if you look at what Michael Keaton is wearing to the Oscars, by the way, it's like jeans a black blazer a red tie over like a denim shirt it's just like a different time just a crazy (laughs) crazy weird uh thing but uh next week on this podcast we are covering muppet christmas carol with tom bison and clay keller do you chris joe have thoughts on uh, muppet christmas carol i'm i'm less of a muppet person than you might expect given my uh, age bracket and whatnot sure I watched Muppet Christmas Carol again last Christmas, though, and it is Mm. a perfectly lovely version of A Christmas Carol. Like, genuinely, like, I mean that. It's it's the funniest Muppet movie because because of what it's adapting, it Mm -hmm. sidelines Miss Piggy way Mm -hmm. more than any other Muppet movie. And it's kind of funny in that regard. It's like it's so weird to just like, oh, she's just really just playing a wife, huh? Like, okay, there we go. Um. But, it kind of uh, sidelines a lot of the Muppets in a weird way. It does, mm-hmm. kind of, actually. But, you know, it's a good movie. I like it. That's a good movie. Uh, Chris, do you have thoughts on the Muppet Christmas Girl? The one, the, like, floating mm. ghost is... Yeah, fucking scary. One of the scariest fucking things I've ever seen in my life. Um, <laughs> truly, uh, burn all cellular prints of that with fire. Uh, just kidding, never do that. Um, not my... F- nearly my favorite muppet movie but i'm so glad that we have that the muppets should be adapting all types of dickens and you know every movie that has had like too many remakes of it we need a muppet version of it we we need a muppet star is born we need (laughs) pride and prejudice we need a muppet pride and prejudice Prejudice and gonzo yeah 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 Yeah. yeah, exactly I, uh... i i mean i don't disagree when it comes to like uh, riffs on a Christmas Carol, I was very much a Mickey's Christmas Carol person every year. Yes, you know, like Mickey's that was Christmas Carol. Christmas Carol. That was mine. I actually, and it's like twenty yeah. minutes. Yeah. yeah, 
I, I, you know what? I feel like if the Muppets were to revive their signature variety series, you two guys would be great guests. I think you'd be an amazing guest <laughs> Thank host. Thank you. Yeah, I agree. I agree. That is truly the best compliment I have ever received in my life. I would just flirt with Scooter all the time, like, is the thing. <laughs> so, like, I would probably get, like, nothing done the rest of the show. It would just be, like, me just trying to, like, smooth on Scooter. So, yeah. I would spend way too much time worried about whether or not Janice thought I was cool. That would be, <laughs> that would be such, you know how they always had these, like, runner plots for the hosts in Muppet yeah, Show? Sure. Such a great plot is Joe is so busy flirting with Scooter that he doesn't make it out for the bits and, like, yeah. Chris is left alone being like, where's Joe? Like, trying, like, really putting his all into it. I'm gonna write this episode of Telephone. Yeah, this is gonna it, be right my right Muppet right. spec. Right. Sounds incredible. Um, thank you both so, so much for being here to thank talk uh, uh, at thank length you for having us. about one of my favorite movies. Um, please plug... Uh, your podcast tell people where they can hear your podcast uh this at oscar buzz we talk about uh movies that were uh positioned for oscars and and didn't quite get there we have very recently had the great emily st james on to talk about moby dick and Ooh. and all that that implied that, <laughs> that was is such a, emily it was such a fun one it was such uh, a fun one it was really great. it was a blast it, yeah that's such a i had such a great time it was such a fun and like you you guys were like here's the list of movies we're thinking about and i was like what about moby dick <laughs> it was really really when like we they, read that email and was like yes obviously we're doing this yeah um and then chris you can you can tell them all about our our patreon where they can join yeah, up for you five dollars a month to us on uh patreon we do for five dollars a month we have two bonus episodes on top of the main feed uh first episode comes out the first of the month that's what we call our exception episodes movies that really fit our rubric but manage to get some oscar nominations then we do what we call exceptions on the 15th of the month it's just kind of like a deep dive into uh obsessions we have whether it's actress roundtables uh recapping award shows things like that um i have one last question for you guys i'd be remiss if i didn't ask you an oscar question as we wrap this up yeah what is yeah. your like crazy outlier movie that you think has a shot at getting best picture that no one thinks has a shot? Like what is the sort of what's um what's the surprise nomination for you guys, I guess, is ultimately Joe has an answer for this. Wait, what's my answer for this? What is my answer? Your answer for this is air. Oh, well that except <laughs> it's the closest thing to I think like a surprise out That's of nowhere. Fair. And nomination. I don't even think it's and also I don't like that movie. Um it's so fine. that's me yeah. just like being a pessimist. Um, but that's like not even that out of the out of the ordinary. I'm trying that's to think of box, like what yeah. would be like a truly a truly wild yet like quasi plausible. It doesn't Listen, need to be best picture. I, it I be want just to believe. Yeah. I want to believe that we uh, could see uh, Todd Haynes' film be nominated for best picture again. The the signs are pointing in that direction, but uh, Chris has been hurt before, and uh, I, it I, be I've been again. I've been regularly hurt. The wound is still fresh. Um, <laughs> it but, is crazy uh, that Carol didn't get a Best Picture nomination. Like that's insane. That's it got insane. everything well, basically. Yeah, they, right. they just yeah. they don't respect the lesbians. Is what that's is true. the truth of it? Yeah. I, I I made December's my favorite of the year so far. Same. So I'm like I'm I'm hopeful too. Uh, I actually I saw that Godzilla minus one made the visual effects shortlist, and I'm yeah. like I hope that that's that movie has such good visual effects on a budget. That's my like I hope that gets in there. I know I it love won't, that but your 
your letterbox review for that movie is tremendous yeah. that you came home and Libby was like are you crying because of the Godzilla movie I was I was <laughs> excellent uh, well thank you so much guys this was an absolute thank blast you. we can't wait to have you guys on again in the future um and you know thank you so for much. Before you go, I do want to say uh, they sent out so many screeners for air and both Libby and I are in WGA and I'm in I was in Gallica and I'm no longer because I'm not a critic anymore, but like they still think I am. So I get all the screeners for go. that. Very good. So That's we right, gotten, my screeners too. We've yeah. got fully nine screeners of air at this point. And for I'm telling you, it's going to be an original screenplay nominee. For a while, my daughter one of the things that would pacify her was if we gave her an air screener and we would just push her on her <laughs> stroller and she would just like look at it and be like, oh, like there's the stars of air. I don't know what it was. <laughs> I wonder how that's going to manifest in your child's life later on. Like that's one of those things where like that is a seed planted and I don't know how it sprouts, but like yeah. some. It's, someday, she, someday she's gonna like bring home a boyfriend who's gonna look just like Matt Damon in that. Or just movie. get really like, oh. into tracksuits yeah. for a while, yeah. like yeah. something, something. That movie, I didn't. I mean, I, it's hard for me to have feelings one way or another about that movie. Like, I, I think that there was some stuff in it that I thought was kind of cute. It kind of had like a nice dad vibe to it, but like, it's not a. It doesn't feel like a particularly like special movie. I don't. It's also Michael like Jordan's for all the movies song. that get shit for like having like constant needle drops that are just so annoying. Well, yeah. Nobody ever like complained about that with Aaron. I'm like that. I felt yeah. it's the worst degree, most egregious example of that. It is. Yeah. It really is. I don't disagree. But you know, listen, Air may be a Best Picture nominee. <laughs> well. Who knows? No. <laughs> uh, thank you so so much for doing this, and I can't wait to talk to you guys in the future. All right. Bye bye. Hey, everyone. Uh, Phil again. So here's the interview I did with Daniel Waters, the uh, one of the screenwriters of Batman Returns. I hope you enjoy it. With me right now is the screenwriter, or I guess, technically speaking, one of the screenwriters of Batman Returns. But we'll get into that because I have questions about all of the various uh, oh boy. workings. All I, know, all I know is there's only one person who has a screenplay credit on the poster. Right. And that person is with me right now, and that is Daniel Waters, um, to talk about Batman Returns, um, my favorite Batman movie. So, you, I mean, all right, what cool. It's worth. Um, I, I so I want to kind of I'm going to write. You back. I, by the yeah. way, I write great arbitration letters. That's why I'm so. <laughs> I was, I, 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 I've joked that the best piece of writing ever done in a Batman movie was my arbitration letter, but that's <laughs> that's another story. Well, we, I mean, I'd like to hear some of that story, but I, I want to kind of rewind for a second. Um, how did Batman Returns, how did you come into this project? How did this project come into your life? Well, I've always loved Batman and I really wanted, I, okay, that's not, uh, sorry, wrong, 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 wrong answer. Um, yeah, no, it's it's sad that one person, one male in America who never wanted to write a Batman movie gets to write a Batman movie. So, but writes maybe the best one. So there you go. Yeah. Oh, stop, Phil. Um, I, 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 I'm serious. I, I think my point, not to, not to yeah, yeah. Up your ass, is more that the distance you had from the source material probably gave you the ability to be able to, you know, write a different type of Batman movie. Yeah, it's crazy to think about how, what a luxury of freedom we had now that you have to go through a Politburo on the tribunal over every. <laughs> line in a superhero movie that we were just fucking around and you know but but uh, but yeah, sorry, go ahead. but 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 um 
I had come in to meet Tim about Denise Dovey had become mm-hmm. Tim's pr- producing partner, and she produced a little, little my little debut film Heather's, mm-hmm. which Tim, which Tim seemed to have a liking for, and so he was looking for a writer for Beetlejuice two. I didn't have an idea for Beetlejuice two. I guess they're finally doing it, but yeah, not I, much, yeah. nothing to do with me. But um, <laughs> but she said just come in to meet Tim anyway, just to meet him. I had a half-ass quasi-pitch about Beetlejuice and the first family in the United States and the White House and all that, but... Amazing. We... we <laughs> Would watch. We, yeah. We quickly went... We ended up being just a general meeting and it ended up being good. And then, then I ended up in uh, Rome and Budapest doing Hudson Hawk and... and so also, I, quite frankly, an, an underrated movie. But, how can I, how can it not be underrated? It certainly there's no way there's no way to rate it lower. It's fair. It's fair. Well, yes. When I I think I've revealed that when I'm drunk, I like to Google Daniel Waters underrated and see what comes up. And I, oh yeah, you get a lot of hits for Hudson Hawk, Hudson Hawk, and Demolition Man, Demolition Man, and even yeah. Ford even Ford Fairlane's got a couple of lovers. Yeah. Um, uh, but you know, talk about a movie like. Who do I have to fuck to get off this picture? Like, and then I get the phone call of like uh, Tim wants to meet about Batman Returns, like, like like Roadrunner, like shoo, out of like my my notepad from Hudson Hawk hang, hanging in the air out of frame as I zoom away. <laughs> and yeah, and and again, I didn't really have. I worship the Dark Knight Returns, the Frank Miller thing. Sure, sure. And so that was something I loved, and I loved that world and that ambiance. I was kind of di- so I was kind of disappointed when I saw Tim's first Batman. I thought it was just, just beautiful, but kind of just lied there story wise and character wise. Sure. And so I didn't have any. And it turned out Tim didn't have much love for it either. So that didn't cost me in the room, but. <laughs> Yeah. But but I did like I love Frank Miller and I love he has a book Electra Assassin and Electra mm-hmm. and like I love the and I was obsessed with I wouldn't say str- strong female role because it's become such a cliche and it's become such an abused term, um, but I love anytime you make a woman the center of your film or the center of your story and you give her a sense of humor and you, you give her like. You don't just make her a man with a vagina. You give her her own, like, and so I'd read, been reading books like Women Ride with the Wolves, Run with the Wolves, and um, always been reading female psychology. So I came in guns a-blazing on Catwoman. Sure. And so immediately I had pitches of Catwoman that that immediately, like, okay, and Tim, Tim just went for it and like, okay, fine. Like, I, you know, I got the job without even knowing I had the job without really saying much about Batman, but I sure said a lot about Catwoman. But I mean, it, it does feel like, you know, the, the sort of enduring part of this movie. And I think there's lots of them, but I do think the Catwoman was probably at the top of that list um, in terms of, you know, Michelle's incredible performance, but also just in terms of what you were talking about, the, the the feminism of the character, the fact that she wasn't just this sort of slinky, sexy thing. You know, she was closer to sort of a, a vigilante, for lack of a better way of putting it. 
um but also sort but of she wasn't just about kicking ass i mean it was right right, right. she was uh, she was unpredictable and when's the last time you can say that about any kind of superhero movie but um right right uh yeah and and there was an existing script that sam ham mm-hmm. which 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 had catwoman and penguin as the villain characters so that got him story credit right there even though we didn't use a word of the script um but and it was it was like a hardy boys adventure it was just a good old-fashioned lots of plot lots of plot which me and tim really love lots of plot um <laughs> a well-oiled swish watch like just the kind of stuff and you know so I, I, I did do uh, a, a version of the first batman movie as well so just to yeah I, yeah yes. i imagine he was just kind of brought on for the sequel and yes and it was like i mean it's a, it's a solid script tim read it and you know i read it through tim's eyes and i go there's no way he's gonna do this right this is like you know the Lewis Teague version or the, you know, Peter Hyams version, put it better. <laughs> well, I mean, from, from the, the research that I've done and just over the years and my love for this movie, you know, for all intents and purposes, Tim Burton was seemed pretty uninterested in doing a sequel, just kind of off the face of it seemed to him. Why do sequels? Like, again, this was before sequels were really what they are now. So to him, it was just like, I don't want to just do this again. Like the only reason to do this is to bring something new to the table, which is why, and I say this with no, you know, denigration to Sam Hamm as a writer, I feel like he was screwed from the jump, right? Like, there was yeah, no way. Yeah, yeah <laughs> no, I, I, I have a feeling he just like, I'm sure he got paid nicely for the draft, but I'm sure he felt like it was going to be a sacrificial lamb because it did, it did solidify that Tim didn't want to do the movie. <laughs> But so so Tim and you meet and, and obviously then, you, you read the script and 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 sort of I guess I'm curious as to like these two minds you and Tim what what was sort of the well the... I, I always I always joke that it's like Rain Man with two Dustin Hoffmans <laughs> like because because cool. it's like <laughs> usually you get the Tom Cruise to work with yeah Tim and this is the time like wait there's another fucking weirdo. <laughs> Who's used to doing all the weirdo tricks that you do in a room with people like, oh, that he's he's a thing. He's weird. He's a he's an artist. So we have to pay attention to him. But like we both have that fake artist side. And <laughs> yeah, like I, I always compare Tim to Bjork where Bjork will do these interviews. I oh, I love I love the sprinkles in the air. And, and then when she gets in the studio, like, can we bring that down 12 dBs? <laughs> I mean, you're speaking my language. Tim Burton and, and Bjork are two of my favorite things. But I'll just say that <laughs> um, that it, this speaks to how bulletproof Tim Burton is at this moment in his career, right? I mean, he's yes. he's just cashed one of his blank checks to make Edward Scissorhands. And then he brings you on to this film, which in and of itself, I imagine, is also a pretty, and I say this obviously with love for your work, but a pretty ballsy move, right? To bring someone in as esoteric and dark and kind of twisted as your writing can be Warner brothers, did they push back on this at all? I'm assuming they were just like, no, go for no, it. Yeah. And Denise obviously vouched for me right. too, but yeah, yeah, yeah. No, the, the, I mean, I think they knew going in that the first film was a Batman movie directed by Tim Burton. And this, whether you like it or not, was going to be a Tim Burton movie that happened to involve Batman. Batman. <laughs> yeah, sure. Sure. Which I'm sure Michael Keaton loved. 
Well, Ma- Ma- Michael Keaton had his own Batman, and, and you know, and he he like I get accused of making Batman like uh, supporting Burt Young character in this, and like it's it, it, Michael Michael has a way of paring down everything. Like I made. I gave Michael, I, you know, I was a little satirical, a little too satirical and fun in my two first drafts. Like my first draft opened with the Batman logo. And then you pull out from the Batman logo and it's a merchandising store. And then the, mer- the, mer- the entire merchandising store blows up and it's being attacked. And that's where the movie begins. And, and, and So I, I want to ask about this version because there's... there's Michael, Michael Keaton has a lot of speeches about mugs. Like, how dare you make a Batman mug? So there's a lot of stuff online about your early drafts of this script, which Lord knows I would love to read someday. But there's a there's ver- apparently a 160-page first draft is what you, you claimed potentially was. Well, the first draft of Heather's was 215, so I, oh I'm, 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 getting, I'm getting more mature. So that makes sense that it was 160 pages. Yeah, I mean, I'm always a big believer in getting the world out there and, like, and then... And it's, it, it's not like it's all going to be golden, mm-hmm. but you know, just to, don't hold back on the first draft. Give me my first draft. Don't don't make me do pages. Just let me have my play in the fields of Lord for a while. But sure, I, I mean, and I think that you know, I think a lot of writers are similar to you, which is it's easier to go too far and get pulled back than it is sort of to incrementally get pushed. You know what I mean? Like I think that yeah, some I mean some some writers can't help themselves. They have ninety five first ninety eighty five page first drafts, and I want to slap them. Like it only took me two weeks to write that. Oh, you're bragging about that? Like it's like it only took me ten seconds to have sex. Like you know why are you bragging about this? So you read Sam Ham's draft. And you start from scratch, right? It's, it's, a, it's, you don't even, you yeah, really... although, yeah, it's, it's codified. It's in the language that Catwoman and Penguin are going to be in the, going to be in this. And so Cat, Catwoman, I came away with like right away with the take. So much worked out. And a lot of working with Tim Burton is, you know, I always compare, I always say Tim Burton is a fairy tale and that you're, you're the, you're the innocent trying to please the, the magical prince. And there comes a point, and you can see it. There's a switch that goes on when Tim likes something, and he almost wants to. He almost wants you to get the fuck out of the room when he when when it happens, because because he's just like, okay, you have turned on the Tim, you have turned on the, the Burton machine. I get the fuck out of here and let me Burton. Like, like you know, I did a thing with like I wanted Catwoman to be homemade. I didn't want her to be like like that. She she creates a costume in a sewing machine and. And that, you know, even then I had one of the scenes I really love in the movie is Batman goes in his bat cave and he has all his bat suits. And meanwhile, Catwoman is crawling, reaching in her pizza box to pull out her Catwoman suit. Like that image was with me from the beginning. And he immediately started drawing and like drew this homemade Catwoman suit that was better than anything I actually imagined. And so this is like, okay. I mean, that is that that's definitely one of the best scenes in the movie her her sort of and i, I hate to say breakdown because that makes it seem you know negative but her sort of birth sequence if you will um is brings me to sort of a question that i have for you in terms of the the duality the mental health component that exists in this film you know you got a lot of people that are struggling with 
the two sides the not even the good and evil but just sort of the the presentable and the unpresentable if you will yeah i thought it was a a compliment in quotations that britney spears was on instagram last year talking about that scene saying it's the best yeah. scene in film history and i'm like awesome. is this who i want backing me up on this but 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 listen yes great. yes sure. yeah. yeah yeah and I, I do yeah i mean <laughs> she knows a lot about duality like sure. when when you're going out with women in la i say oh they're bipolar only two this is good <laughs> so did you yeah did yes you so obviously i wanted to like yeah i the thing i like about the movie in general is that no two people have the same opinion of the movie that there there's like I think Marvel movies, whether you like them or not, they hit you the same way. Even if you love them, they hit you, they hit you the same way. You don't. There's no arguing about the details. Like this, like you try to get under. Un, it's not all on the surface. You try to make the text sub the subtext text in many ways, where you want this creepiness to come out of it more than it would in a normal commercial movie. And so, like I just embraced everything. I wanted. I didn't. Anytime I thought it was too strong or too weak, I would turn it the other way and just make it fucked up and confusing. Like, I also love that the movie, she's Michelle Pfeiffer, she's a star, but she doesn't get a close-up on her first scene. Like, I like she's just walking into the background smoking, pouring coffee. Like, I, li- I like that. And I like that, you know. Um, so that breakdown scene is... <laughs> and... As the Batman people will complain, it's like it's a great it's a great scene, but it happens before we really even talk to Batman. So fuck you, why are you doing this? But but that's that's the game we're playing here. So <laughs> when you're writing this, were there performances or movies that were inspiration to you? Because I know obviously the comics, for all intents and purposes, you know, not really your bag. Yeah, like I say, like I said, I love Frank Miller's Dark Knight Returns and loved Electric Assassin. I thought they had a different kind of texture. Sure, Um, I'm always bad at answering a question. It's like it's it's why my it's why I've never had a TV show on on TV. Like I give these great TV pitches, and then they ask you, "Well, what other hit shows is this like?" And I'm like, "Ah." (laughs) Thank you. I'm not trying to put you on the spot. I know if I could think of a TV show was like. I wouldn't have written it. That's what I try to say. Everybody in the room laughs and they don't buy it. Sure. Um, sure. But, I mean, I... I but but yeah, yeah I mean, obviously we're going for, you know, like, it was a Tim Burton that... I wanted to do the Tim Burton movie that, that hadn't been made. And, like, and sure. Tim... Tim and I would talk about Fellini. We would talk about, you know, the operatic grand artist. And it was funny... Like I would talk about my favorite Fellini films and he didn't have a favorite Fellini film. He just thought all Fellini films were the same Fellini film and just he loved that world and, and sure. he didn't he didn't break it down and didn't break it down in plot and story and things like that. So I so I knew he had this art artistic zone that he hadn't really played with. And I was like, Well, I'll keep one foot into the fact we're making a commercial su- superhero movie for Warner Brothers, but I'm going to try and get weird and see if I can out weird Tim Burton. I never really did, but the fact that I tried to out weird him, he appreciated. It's commendable. Like, we, people ask, did he tell you to name Christopher Walken character Max Shrek? I'm like, we've never discussed 
I just knew I was working for Tim Burton. I knew he would love that I named it Max Shrek, but he never complimented me. He just, Max Shrek was on the call sheet. <laughs> but I could tell, like, there's a little thing you do when you work for Tim Burton, you know? It's a little different with Ron Howard. <laughs> I, I, I don't doubt that. I, I mean, I, I think that, you know, one of the things that, that Tim Burton, I think, gets dinged with as a filmmaker is, you know, style over substance. Um, and I think ultimately that comes back to sort of what you're talking about, which is that I think he's a lot more of a vibe filmmaker than people give credence to. Yes, and, and that's kind of what the movie we wanted to make. We wanted to make these yeah. strange characters, inner, inner, like their neurons and molecules that bounce off each other and let's see what happens from there instead of a plotty McPlot. You know, the, the special guest star, Wesley Strick, who we'll bring up later, he, he 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 came in and put in a plot of like the first born children of Gotham City or some shit like that. I mean, I love what Wesley did, but I mean I was a little hard at I would make jokes to all my friends and at the time, but now I now that I've been rewritten by scoundrels, I've learned to really appreciate Wesley's trick. So and and Wesley, if you're if you're listening to this and you're probably not, um I apologize. And people compliment me all the time on unlimited poontang, and I tell them you wrote it. So, I, I anytime that was his they, line, that wasn't your line. That's that's his line. For some reason, everybody's got to tell me how it's my favorite, the best line I've ever written. It's like I didn't write it. God damn it! I'll just say this though, um, it's crazy that that exists in the movie. Like it's crazy that in 1992, in a movie meant for kids, you had. Chris Walken say to a penguin of I, Danny DeVito, <laughs> unlimited poontang. It is an insane thing. Like, well, yeah, she, and yeah. I, I had a different pussy. We, I think we all had different pussy lines, but well, sure, sure, you had a cat woman. Like, how could you? Yeah, yeah, but even that just always makes me cough on my cough on my Coke Zero when I see that. Sure, kind of, like just the pussy I'm looking for. Hey, hey, hey. <laughs> so, well, I, well, it's what I lo- it's what I love about the movie is that. I mean, Christopher Nolan, bless his soul. I love Dark Knight and I love Dark Knight. Nobody liked, nobody liked Dark Knight Rises more than me. Um, and he, he, but he, he blows up football fields like Matt Reeves blows up a convention center. Mm-hmm. Extreme violence in all the other Batman movies. And yet people were more freaked out by Danny DeVito eating a fish and biting a nose. Like that like we 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 had babies and toys and clowns and Christmas and rubber ducks and we really know me and Tim really know how to fuck with your head. These people who are doing generic violence that's nothing. But you get into what kids really associate with and then flip their brains. That's that's much more devious and nasty. It is it is interesting how the reception of this film was divisive we'll just say um, yes it 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 it's i was 12 when this movie came out and i oh. saw it in theaters and i remember just not really getting it and in the years that came after it it's as i said become one of if not my favorite batman movie because it, it's first of all it's pushing your notions of what people are doing within these comic book kind of tropes but I would also say too, like it's just not pulling its punches, and I I feel like so many comic book movies do that today, 
Yes, it's not. <laughs> it's unfortunately not, you know, much to some people's chagrin. It's not trying to please anybody except me and Tim. Like, you know, <laughs> like, like we think people cringing and gasping is like, it's working. <laughs> you know, it's funny. Last night I, I went to a screening of Poor Things, which I don't know if you've seen it yet. Um, I haven't but, seen it. Dying to. But I'm very curious to hear your thoughts on it because, you know, you'll see. That being said, it was one of those films where it was a, it was a guild screening. The movie ends, and as are most of these guild screenings, there's applause, generally speaking, right? Because people feel like you know obligated. It was the strangest applause I've ever like. People clearly did not know how to process what they had oh, just cool. seen, which was just great. It was, and and I imagine Batman Returns somewhat similar, right? People are going in to see a Happy Meal movie, and they leave with you know, Danny DeVito spitting up bile for, for two hours. It's, it's great. Yeah, I did feel a little bad. I mean, for the, for the kids. <laughs> but, but, but you know, but it like like even 12-year-old Philip, you know, we'll get you later. You'll come around. Like, I mean, that's, that's why, you know, Marvel, Marvel never brings any kind of sexuality in the mix. And then you bring just a little bit of it it's like green pepper. It's all going to taste like sexuality, and and that. I mean, I don't think DC has much sexuality in their films either. To be clear, yeah, like, no, I mean, no. It's it's you know, I, you know, I. This is something funny that I I didn't find out until recently that mm-hmm. the, and people, David Goyer and Nolan and people who don't like Batman Returns, will 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 seize on this little statement. But I didn't know DC standing for Detective Comics. You know what? I think when you, as you just said it, I was like, I think I might have known that, but I don't think I like. It just wasn't. And it's also, that, why is it called detective comics? That doesn't. They're not all detectives. Yeah, but yeah, I think I think the first thing I ever yeah. said on said on Twitter when was when the Batman came out, and I said, "So you're telling me he's a detective?" For three hours, they're telling you he's a detective. <laughs> yeah, which which I I I, I don't I don't. I'll brag about Batman. I'll brag. I'm going to brag about Catwoman. I'll brag about even a lot of Penguin's character. I won't brag about my detective skills or giving Batman detective skills. Yeah, it's not his best detective work. It's. I mean, here's the here's the problem. It was only the second Batman movie, and so we got hit by Batman fans for breaking so many rules. But now that there's been 700 superhero movies and 50 Batman movies, I think we're getting a new sense of like, hey, look at that second. Let's go back and look at that second Batman. It was something different. It was like, oh, my God, it it doesn't have any of these things we've seen a thousand times. So I think it's getting definitely a newfound appreciation. Like I saw the the 30th anniversary screening that that was last year. and was like, oh, my God, this is the way it's supposed to play. People love it. I mean, it it is, it's it's crazy. I mean, it is a crazy movie. Every time I watch it, I just I, I I'm filled with glee that it exists because it it is a movie that feels like a miracle, as far as I'm concerned. That 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 this had sort of that Tim had the wind at his back to be able to do this. That Warner Brothers was so kind of gaga over the potential of Batman that they were willing to be like, well, he did a great job on the first one, and that made a bazillion dollars, so how could we go wrong? Um, and then to see sort of this overcorrection 
and I, I like the Schumacher movies to be clear. I think they're fun, but I mean, I also just think that they're really goofy and they're, they're kind of harking back to the, you know, OG television show in a lot of ways. Um, but so when you were brought on, this was already a Christmas movie, correct? So in the Sam Ham version, it, it, was, it was, it was not a Christmas movie. Oh, oh was it? I, you know, I always wanted because it, I think it was one of those, Tim unceremoniously told me it was a Christmas movie. Maybe it was in Sam Ham's draft, but in my first draft, I guess my first draft it was because I had the mistletoe line right away, but it was something like him just, we're going to make it Christmas. Like, and I'm always, I'm always up for Christmas. Like how Christmas gives you all this extra juice and like, you know, nothing like a summer Christmas movie. My brother made a summer Christmas movie too. Mr. Popper's Penguins is like, we share that. We share that. Um, so but, I, I bring up the Christmas thing because this episode is is dropping in December and we're doing a whole bunch of Christmas films from 92. We're doing this. and I love uh, the fact it's become a Christmas movie. It's it's yeah. it, that it's shows in theater. Like I already got sold out of two screens of the Almo Draft House. And it's and it's it's a, 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 and, it, and I'm missing a queer in film seminar that goes with the movie like so it's queer and film and christmas and i'm missing it all <laughs> so you mentioned the mistletoe line which is definitely one of my favorite lines in the film um was it that gets, just it gets sold really well it gets sold it was, really it was a little clunky on the paper <laughs> it sold i mean it sold really well twice Right, it sold. Oh. It sold really well, well, well the first well, again, time. Well, again, again I, I mean, I can't believe how much of my favorite stuff and probably most people's favorite stuff was shit that I came up with in the first meeting. Like, we got to have a masquerade ball. Were they the only ones not wearing costumes? <laughs> like, you know, it's just like, and 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 you know, my crass pitch became something absolutely sublime. Yeah, I mean, it's it's. It's funny you say that, that like on the page, it might've felt a little bit clunky, um, but it's also, it's kind of a skeleton key. It's the reveal line, right? Like it has, oh, to, yeah. be, oh, it yeah. has to be such a good line so that we remember it when it comes back. Well, clunky, clunky always stays in your memory too, but I, I'll take your, I'll take your version. But I, I, I just, I think about, you know, their kiss or when she licks him, which is a scene that a moment that everyone remembers uh their kiss under the mistletoe if you will um and then you have the masquerade ball where they say the same line again apparently apparently, apparently we turn we turn young women into lesbians according to the screening the program for the screening so i mean michelle well, pfeiffer could turn anyone into anything quite frankly <laughs> I mean, i'm just just for what it's worth it, it's um i i i think it's interesting first of all Here's a question for you. Speaking of the masquerade ball, the semi-hard, I'd say, is that your line? That's Strix. Strix a dirty boy. <laughs> Strix is super horny. It's, and it's, it's so funny because Strix was, I like to think he was much more of a normal writer than he thought. Well, Dan Water is probably mostly the first credit anyway, so I'll just, just get perverted and everyone will assume it's Waters because he's a big perv. That's, that's amazing. Because, I, yeah, I assume. Like how would I not assume, right? I mean, it just it, yeah. It seems... I I, I, th- I thought it was a little the wrong moment for vulgarity, but you know, I, but Michelle sold it. That that's for sure. Michelle sells everything in this movie, but um, 
Okay, so I want to ask about the Wesley Strick stuff. Okay, I, and I already we're not going to talk about Penguin. We're already, already oh, we're, oh, we'll talk about Penguin, but we're, we're talking about Strick, Strick. So I figure we'll talk about Strick and then we'll go back to Penguin. But okay. um, so I don't know. We don't need to get into it. But you and Tim go your separate ways. It seems. Sure, sure. my contract was kind of over. Okay, and 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 I was surprised I wasn't rehired. Okay, and when I read. Wesley's first draft, like it was obviously kept in the loop that he let me read his first draft. His first draft had a lot I didn't like, okay, a lot I didn't like, and I didn't react too well to it. And there's okay. this song by Paul Abdul, "Blowing Kisses in the Wind," that I was listening to when I read the most grueling passages of the Strix first draft. And so now you should see me when that song comes. It's not one of the most popular songs, but it's a great song. But when it comes on, I just turn into like the Manchurian candidate. I just like just start sweating in a fetal position and run to buy firearms and just take out 10 people. But So did but, you uh, but, get but, his stuff lifted? Were you able to do a rewrite or well, how did that work? Well, I don't know if you've heard the tale of the fax machine. No. no. Warner Brothers gave me a fax machine and I sent a 17-page tirade against this draft which is again not a great not recommended for you young writers coming up great idea yeah and then i got a note back from a fax machine that 16 pages had gone through of the 17 so it's like i didn't know which page did go through so i had to send the whole thing again (laughs) which they took as like just like one one send a 17 page fax once Shame on you. Send me back twice and like, you fucking psychopath. <laughs> so uh-huh. that wasn't great. But, okay. but, but, but some of it sunk through like what I didn't like. And, and then, um, it, 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 like, oh, there was, yeah, I don't even remember. There was scenes of the Murphy bed flinging up and Max Shrek's son, Chip getting put in a wall and like oh my god anyway anyway wesley did a great job it was the first draft but he okay. but he, uh, i mean it was just like like the the rain man with two dozen offense we needed tom cruise he was our tom cruise he just he put the trains on the time he gave that you know first born to gotham city thing which is not anything anybody talks about so how would you come humming you don't hum that song walking out of the movie but it is a bit of a handrail. It is like, you know, Sid Field, Robert McKee, a handrail for some people. I didn't think we needed it. I was ready to go full Altman. Uh, but, but, so but, did you but, have the Penguin? Was, did the Penguin have a mission in your draft? Like, did the Penguin have a, a goal other than uh, fucking he, Catwoman? <laughs> yeah, he, 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 he did want people to love him he did want that whole ingratiating thing and then the the running for like max shrek using him to run for mayor and and okay that falling apart and i I didn't we tim and i had a very funny experience i'll we'll go back to wesley if you must but um but 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 penguin was like we never really got penguin as far as like who's penguin says to be supposed to be a gangster he's like he wears that that he has wears those top, top hat. hats and like monocle and monocles and, and cigarette lighters and like I've already done my monocle movie with Heather's but um but but 
but we did and he was so weird looking that we didn't know we, we didn't even know he's human and then um tim had all these drawings of the hideous penguin boy and we're like eh why don't we just make him that and then like and at the time like it was i think it was not that far from the la riots that this happened i just liked the idea of what if somebody wanted to run for mayor so they caused the la riots and so they can run again run for that so i had that kernel of thought and it was always going to hey it's danny pellegrino from everything iconic ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget check out quince they've got all the good stuff shirts and polos activewear and fine leather goods all at 50 to 80 percent less than other high-end brands and the best part they're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Be, he being betrayed. Like, I always thought Max Shrek was actually an intentionally much more duller Mitt Romney character and I wanted like the banality of him to be the banality of evil and like that these these fucked up multi-dimensional villains are not the real villains and it's just the the guy who never has a moment of self-doubt like the Donald Trump character be way before Donald Trump or way before Donald Trump became president that he's the true evil so I wanted him to be the master manipulator that so it's so at the end like it's much more like it is in the movie, which more of de- Penguin's final act of desperation. I mean, another core line that we that we developed from the beginning was the flip on El- the Elephant Man of like and Raging Bull of I'm not a human being, I'm an animal, and that was another key. Yeah, I mean, the the, the again, you you're waiting for that Tim Burton far away look of like I'm burning, I'm burning, I'm burning, and like that. And also, I think I, I told him like, what you know, the the stockbrokers and business mavens around the world are shredding their documents, and here's the guy in the sewer taping the documents together. And, and Tim was like, "Leave me, got it." Now we will begin. The process so, will begin. There was a rumor, and I'm curious if there's any legitimacy to this, that you and Tim Burton considered doing a Catwoman movie together? Is that true? Is there? Yeah, no, we, we, we developed a Catwoman movie. I mean, it's funny. We, 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 we made, we smoked the peace pipe and developed a Catwoman movie. It's weird. We didn't really listen to each other. Like, he, he wanted to do uh kind of low budget black and white selena kyle in a small town cat people like the original cat people type movie and i want to and this is like okay really crap like he would show me Anne margaret movies like kitten and a whip like and the original cat people and curse of the cat people I'm like 
just kind of small time and like i i nodded my head and then i would like i made the biggest most bombastic catwoman script and and i gave him this outline for it and he didn't say anything and i thought that was approval of the outline and then i wrote the script and like yeah it's too much like the outline like what the hell but but it was almost like a batman movie and the tone was very much like the boys where where she moves to a small city in the like i wanted the the, the sun-stroked arizona version of gotham city like the la of gotham city mm-hmm. and these it's run it's run by these three macho superheroes and so like the boys the superheroes was kind of the assholes and she's got to like break out the catwoman gear and and um fight them and like you know I all I did was the first draft before everybody realized they didn't Tim realized he didn't really do want to do a Catwoman movie. But Michelle Pfeiffer saw me at a party and she almost clawed me. She she thought I she she Lee Harvey Oswald me as I'm the one who messed up the project. But um I, I was a, I was a this, I'm a Patsy, I'm a Patsy. I think today and no one I'm sure no one will ever make this movie, but you could do Michelle Pfeiffer, Michael Keaton aged versions of bruce wayne and selena kyle i mean you, you you could do that today and people would fucking watch that like i i think that i mean listen i understand that michelle still has the Catwoman costume she still has her whip she you know whips she it out on social still... media from time to time i'm sure she still looks great in it i have no doubt that, that yeah she absolutely absolutely so there is just a part of me that's like i i think that hopefully you know, once the fever breaks and we don't make nearly as many of these comic book movies and we're, and there's sort of maybe a little bit more wiggle room. I, I do wonder whether or not there's a way to go back to that. And to and, and coming off, coming off the flash, we're gold. <laughs> yeah, we're good. Right. We're fine. Everything's great. Uh, so um, you and, and uh, you get the Wesley Strick script. He goes to set, I'm assuming. He's the one who covers the... Yes, I, yes, I, I, was, I visited the set twice. It was much like the scene Science of the Lambs where I'm wheeled out <laughs> in the Science of the Lambs outfit and wheeled around the set. But I did go to the set a couple times. But yes, Wesley was the, Wesley was the production writer. Wesley got to have Slider at the sprat party. So but I'm yeah. you'd rather have much credit though. <laughs> My question is in terms of because I've I don't work in features, I work in television, and things are very, as you know, very different in TV than they are in features. Um was this a locked script when it went to picture? Like when you guys actually started to shoot this thing, was it be was there rewrites happening on like I'm sure I mean I mean like the core things have always been there from the beginning, but I'm sure there was little rewrites always here and there and like and definitely definitely like I said, I wrote Christopher Walken. I Christopher Walken was number one on my casting list, but for a totally different totally different version of Max Shrek. And he sure. kinda he kind of became like, you know, he saw how everybody else was having fun. So I think he upped up the fun quotient of the role. And I think there was a lot of um rewriting done for his character to make him more lively and fun although you know it's like it's it's like you know it's like like i say wesley strick did a great he didn't do like a lot of rewriters do of just like okay it's mine now i'm gonna blow up everything sure 
the, the reason I bring up the the whole like locked idea is again this is this is before we have the the shit shows that we have now, right? Where yeah, yeah, that's the thing grading on a curve with today. It's nothing like it, right? Where you know you've got Marvel writing scenes on the day, doing massive amounts of reshoots. Like it, it just there were no reshoots on this. I'm assuming, I, or or maybe there were. I don't know. I think they're probably. I mean, there wasn't like resh- let's reshoot an entire right. scene, but there there's always something needed to embellish. Sure, sure. Not a cheap movie, Batman. <laughs> not a cheap movie. You know, I also think it's worth noting too, and not to state the obvious, but you know, obviously there's a lot of German expressionism going on in this movie. I mean, there's, there's oh, a yeah. that 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 you were both sort of you and Burton were very inspired by the aesthetics and the kind of vibe of those films as well. I'm assuming. Yeah, I didn't. I that first shot of the town plaza, I'm like, whoa, okay, you weren't kidding. <laughs> guess, guess that German expressionism aftertaste you wanted became a, became a meal. Um, thank God I named the character Max Schreck. Like, <laughs> um, so during the you, you mentioned that that uh, during the writing process that Tim was involved, and I'm sort of curious as to what that relationship was like in the sense of. Well, I mean, when I actually went off to write, I went off to write. Like, I didn't give him pages yeah, yeah. or anything sure. like that. But, but just in the in the development of what he wanted, like I said, you know, you you try to get that vibe from him. You try to capture that look, and then he would he would draw things. Like I told, he, he like I had this conception of the way the villains. Like, I had a different. I had like kind of artistic art students as 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 weirdly surreal art students as penguins henchmen mm-hmm. like they would play all these practical trips like i was wanting to do a movie where they have the don't walk button you press before you walk the street mm-hmm. and they set it so the the thousand one thousand seven hundred 1780th person who presses the button will blow up and <laughs> sure sure and, and i i love this stuff but he's like yeah just make them clowns So those are the kind of I notes. Mean, that, you know, they're and, clowns, uh, like, but they're Tim, like... Tim like clowns. Tim likes clowns, yeah. But, I mean, you say clowns and people will think one thing. This is more like... Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, no, like, is... no, I mean, yeah, he said clowns and he gave me the book Geek Love by Catherine Dunn. So it's yeah, not like... Exactly. It, ain't, it ain't Bozo's grand prize game, right? <laughs> I still think that he should make that book. I mean, I don't know what he's why he has not just made that book into a tv show I mean, well my my dream is always i want i want to do burns on a card like i think he's got, got that great fellini in him like let's 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 go full artistic but instead we're getting beetlejuice too so you know you take what you can get i guess so i mean i don't know i i think he he's one of those guys who i really feel does do the not one for them one for me but like once he has a hit then he takes a swing and generally that swing doesn't connect and then he has to go do another hit. Do you know what I'm saying? Like I feel yeah, that kind of yeah. up and down kind of component to his to his career. Which I think is interesting. I also you talking about the black and white catwoman thing makes me think of Ed Wood, which he does shortly after this film. You know what I mean? The the whole black and whiteness, the whole sort of that old kind of fifties vibe. It wouldn't make sense for a Catwoman movie, really, because that's not really the vibe of Batman Returns, but I guess that's whatever. 
Yeah, I mean, it could have been an interesting movie. I, I just didn't didn't think anybody wanted to see it, or certainly didn't want to write it. And I thought I thought we could come of the best of both worlds. But now, now that I'm talking about it, I haven't talked about it in a long time. Now it sounds like shit. Sounds pretty good. Black, <laughs> black, black and white, black and white. Son of Kyle, I'd see that for a dollar. <laughs> just a dollar, though. That's how much it would make. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, th- we talked about Christmas. But love, Ed, of... love Ed Wood. Ed Wood's probably oh, my... I, yeah. I, I, you put a gun to my head, it might be my favorite Tim Burton film, but I, I, I'm, I'm not sure. It depends. On any given day. It... Written by my best friends, Larry Kersius and Scalazander. Uh, unbelievable writers. Went to high school, Larry. Oh, that's awesome. That's super cool. Yeah, I mean, I, I think Edward is is probably, I mean, certainly within film snob circles is the one that everyone kind of points to and goes like, that's the one that I can really get behind, it seems. But, you know. Yeah, yeah. Anytime you feel like punching Tim Burton for Miss Peregrine's Dance of the Class of the Swimming whatever, um, you're like, well, he did, he did do Edward, so shut the fuck up. Couldn't have said it better myself. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, I so okay. Uh, Christmas. Do you have a favorite Christmas movie? Oh, the Big Gun. The big, the Big Gun's the best. The Biggie. The Biggie. The Biggie. What's... I watch it every year. The Bim Bam Boomer. <laughs> um, seventh <laughs> best film of all time. It's a Wonderful Life. Okay, I was like, what's happening? <laughs> um, yeah no i mean it's wonderful like great movie yeah i mean can't, can't complain i i get it were you i mean i guess my question ultimately is it's a circuitous way there but this is a christmas movie but i think the reason you get into these weird conversations with people that are very strict about their definitions of christmas movies christmas is not really a, a it doesn't move the story in any real way it just it's it's window dressing it's just the best kind of window dressing well, yeah, there's something about Christmas though that lets you that that it gives you something to strive against, and also Christmas. I mean, you think of Christmas in a traditional sense of Christmas. Yeah, baby, it's Christmas. But but really, in deep in your bloodstream, it it's associated with melancholy, and you know it's associated with melancholy. And so, like, I wanted that things are not as happy as you think they are vibe and like you came to see a superhero movie well it's not gonna be as happy as you think it is like that 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 it it it's it's a great match with loneliness and not and then becoming unlonely that's what christmas is for like you know it ain't about kids wrap unwrapping gifts unless it's a giant box that's gonna have nasty people jump out of it like you've seen the talk you've seen the talk show footage of from the time of the the kids crying and like oh yeah <laughs> like i'm like it's the best and i'm it's like best. and i'm like and people are always like sending it to me like laughing look at these stupid kids like these kids aren't stupid they're right that's what we wanted to do <laughs> they're they're reacting exactly as we wanted them to i you know it's interesting i i remember the mcdonald's happy meals i remember the i had those plastic cups 
that had that amazing artwork. There's this amazing uh, design. Yeah. That did the, you know, I think you know what I'm talking about. They're beautiful. Um, it's all so lovingly made, even if it is a deeply weird film. Do you know sort of like there is that push and pull of like, first of all, there's the Christmas of it all. Your three leads have no families. They're all orphans. Basically, I mean, yeah, yeah. I guess no. Technically, Selena has a has a voicemail from her mom, but like we don't get that's the right. That that's close. right. But there's there is sort of this like they're all sort of these weird, disparate kind of people just floating through space and time. <laughs> it's, it's kind of sad, <laughs> but it's really great. I, I love it, but I do understand why people would leave this film perhaps feeling like, um, why. <laughs> But you're, you're definitely selling the credit because the Christmas of it, like, it makes you expect, and and you know it's gonna Christmas is gonna heal you in some way. It heals people in the weirdest fucking way in this movie. But the last line, "Goodwill toward men and women," come yeah, on, it's pretty good. It's great. So you speak of the last line. Um, they spent a bazillion dollars to tag that that shot of her. Oh yes, all, all all my like I'm a like I say I'm a big studier of. I don't even want to call it feminist as much as feminine literature and psychology. And like, I became a little over obsessed with the tragic heroine. And so both for Winona Ryder in Heathers and Michelle Pfeiffer and Catwoman, their characters die. Except they ended up having to rewrite it. So they don't die or, or they didn't. Re- Wait, Winona I mean, died I, in your first draft of Heathers? Did she die? Yeah. 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 She's got a bunch of deaths and she's, She's, she she ends up taking the bomb and wearing it in one of my drafts. And okay. there's another draft where she goes to say hello to Martha Dumptruck and Martha Dumptruck stabs her and says, fuck you, Heather. And then she's that's dying fantastic. with, with blood coming out of her mouth saying, my name's not Heather. That's fantastic. But that's amazing. I didn't like those endings. <laughs> uh, and I did have, I did have like, like Selena Kyle lose like, you know, three, four, five still alive. That's great. Yeah. I and, love that. I'll and, save one and, for next Christmas. One for, she saved one for next Christmas in my script too, but you okay. didn't. You didn't see her come back out. And now, like when I see hear people cheering when her head pops back up, I'm like, okay, Warner Brothers know what the fuck they're doing. They know what they're doing. It's like good and for you. She never appears again. <laughs> Not as Michelle Pfeiffer anyway. Yes, and she was um, from Holly Berry. Oh boy, or Anne Hathaway. Let's go with Anne Hathaway. I mean, I, I think that. <laughs> I, no, I, I have a like, like I ended up being the first writer on, on Catwoman, mm-hmm. and then so there ended up being thirty six writers after me, and they like a, a dump truck dumped like eighty scripts in front of a thing, and like put them back in the dump truck. I'm not going to arbitrate this. You. I mean, that movie is obviously uh, a disaster. It's not Halle Berry's fault. It's just that movie is just no good, very bad. Don't do it. But I, I, I do wonder, um, I, I stand by what I was saying about Michelle Pfeiffer. I, I think that I, I still think we could, there, there's a way to, to, to go back to that if, if someone wanted to. But um, you write that you, you attempt the Catwoman thing. Did anyone ever come to you about any other future Batman movies? Was this ever, was that ever? Oh. Oh, oh no! Oh, they get me. I mean, like we can talk and hold hands and talk and sing songs of how now the movie's much more respected. But 
you know, the movie at the time went, I mean, it started off at an astronomical rate and broke the record for, but then it went down 50% like every week because, because people were not, I mean, the people who liked it, liked it, but then the, the, the normies, the muggles, they were not digging it. And now, like I said, now, now the normies are waking are so exhausted by re- typical superhero movies. Now they're going back and snorting it like cocaine. But at the time, yeah, like I was definitely, Dan Waters will never get near a superhero movie again on on, on Warner Brothers a lot. They like what I did with Demolition Man. but Which, which came, is also Warner Brothers, came, right? Watch the Warner Brothers came afterwards. And I did like a, really a two-week rewrite on it that changed the whole script. So they, I was forgive me, but then I went through a midlife crisis of like I gotta stop. Like my first five scripts were made into movies, and I go, well, I gotta stop to you know, I gotta stop rewriting. I gotta write it, and look at the results. <laughs> my way or the highway, cut to me with oranges, bag of oranges. But yeah, I, oh, you didn't see the two movies I directed? What? Hello, come back, Phil. Don't turn us off. I'll do that black and white cat one for you. Would you, so I mean, it is interesting because I remember I was reading online about how there are some people that are like, would Tim Burton ever go back to doing another Batman movie? Right? Is there is there a world where he would try to bring you know uh, do a, a Michael Keaton version of this or whatever? And since DC is kind of pretty agnostic about any sort of connections between any of these things, they could kind of do whatever they want. Um, is that something you would be interested in doing? I'm sure. Sure, I like I like this old old. I mean, my brother, my brother, the director who directed Mean Girls. He he says yes to everything. I say no to everything. But that I'll, I'll say yes to that. I'm, I'm yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, so to 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 wrap this up, I wanted to ask you since uh, we talked a little bit when we were emailing, you 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 uh, <laughs> you brought up other films that you wanted to talk about as opposed to this one. What are some of your favorite films from 1992? Do you sort of off the dome? Oh, yeah, yeah. No, I, 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 was, I think I gave you my top 10 list from 1999. I didn't, did. I don't have it recorded, but I think off the top of my head, mm. it was, yeah, I mean, just, it was Unforgiven Reservoir Dogs, which sure. is, but Deep, Deep Cover was my top 10. Raised the Red Lantern was number three. Mm-hmm. And of course, I, I'm looking forward to your, your episode on Billy August, The Best Intentions, that 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 that's definitely going to be a real ratings ratings coup. Um, well, let's see. I wrote, oh, oh, how hardly simple men. I know another big boat getter. Sure, sure. Um, one false move. Yep, we um, did that one. Yeah, and um, great movie. Oh, and I and I wouldn't have put this in my top ten at the time. Mm. I rewatched it. I think it's a masterpiece. Mm. We kind of all, we kind of all as a nation glossed over it, even though we all, all paid to see it. But Basic Instinct is an incredible movie. Yeah. We, we did, uh, we had Karina Longworth on to talk about Basic Instinct. Oh, yes. Of course and, you did. And it was, you know, that movie is legit. I mean, obviously it's crazy. It's for Hoven, but well, like, it's, it's fucking, great. It's great. It's, I mean, I was just watching a, a gog like, God, every line is a fucking home run, and it looks amazing. Like it's oh yeah, so no, it's, well a big, it's a big fucking movie. It's <laughs> a big glossy. 
I mean, you know, it's great. And it's not a superhero movie. It's like it's it looks like a billion dollars, yet it's just people and it's fantastic. Yeah. So I'm yeah. and I'm, it made four hundred million dollars in nineteen eighty two. So Yeah, Jesus. It paid for itself. Yeah, no. God. Many, many times over. Yeah, no, I, I, I'm done. Now I'm going back to my heroin act, not analogy. It's like when it comes to movies about sexuality, now I'm just like snorting Karina Longworth podcasts instead of like getting a real <laughs> syringe full of good shit. Not that her shit isn't great, but you her know, it's pretty tough. great. It's so it's so podcast as opposed to a movie. I'm sure she would trade it in for ten great erotic thrillers made today. She absolutely would, uh, as would her husband, I imagine. But I I, I do think that um, it, it's been really interesting uh, looking at '92 because I think it is a fulcrum point in a lot of ways. I think such that, a great year, such a great year, and it turns pretty quickly after this, right? I mean, you got your Jurassic Park is '93, and and it it kind of feels like special effects become you know, the, the modus operandi, and we're still feeling that today. Um, it's so interesting that Batman Returns comes out in this year, you know what I mean? A year that still has movies made for adults, right? Like this movie, it's not, you know, for quadranty necessarily, but it is sort of a movie that's going to hit the older people. And it's kind of, it, it's just, it's just a different time of making studio movies. And that's why we were lucky enough to get this movie to come out. Yeah, no, you pick you pick two great years, nineteen ninety-nine and nineteen ninety-two. Yeah. Well, Daniel, I can't thank you enough for doing this. Um it's been I mean, a true my my twelve year old self is is jumping up and down inside. Uh <laughs> your twelve year old self is like, What the fuck? You're doing Batman Returns? We hated that movie. Well, okay, my thirteen year old self. Yeah. My 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 teenage self is incredibly thrilled to be able to talk to you, to pick your brain a little bit and to and to get somewhat of a sense of what it was like to make this phenomenal movie that still stands the test of time, that people still talk about today. Um you know, I'm I'm just I'm so thankful. So I, I really appreciate it. Well, that. you're very welcome. And then <laughs> meet as many fans as I can get. <laughs> and I hope that you'll well, come well, on and talk about I, another movie that you didn't actually write. <laughs> Yes, well, yeah. As as a friend of mine, Josh Olson, who wrote History of Violence, who did a he picked nineteen ninety two for his own his own podcast. Mm -hmm. But Batman Returns, superhero movie for people who hate superhero movies. Absolutely, the best kind of people. They bring that brings the best people together. That's not that I hate. Not that I hate superhero movies. Well, Daniel, thank you again, and uh, and I'll reach out, and we'll we'll talk movies again soon. Okay, man, great to see you. See you. Bye.